You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. There's only one more. There is only one more. There is, that's not it. One more. Get arrest! No! They saw your team put up zero effort. Wake up! Remember in the old days, they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? They play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> this, this is the Sports Loud Mouth. Yay! Man, can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks and Speedy Beanie. You're not even a has-been. You're a never was. You're a never was. Do you smell what July 13th is cooking? You are listening to the Sports Loudmouth. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can call us at 631-672-3108 is the number to call. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loud Mouths, which airs every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. And as we have said, in the summertime, we are moving on Wednesdays to 9 p.m. because all the kids are home and they can listen to our show a little bit later. As the summer is over, we'll move to 7 p.m. on Wednesdays, as always. Speedy, what is up, my friend? Well, I guess you cooking, or a day cooking something is a new is a new uh, quirk I did not know about. I guess the it, Rock is here. Uh, the Rock is here. Uh, I don't know if there's any rocks in this room. but Do uh, you smell what I'm cooking? I do not. Well. But unless, unless you're cooking rocks, and there's rocks hidden in this room somewhere. Rocks or rocks? Both. Well, I don't. I don't know what a walk is, but maybe it's an Ewok. Maybe, maybe it's an Ewok. Yeah, I love the Ewoks. The, the attack of the Ewoks on the sports loudmouth. Return of the Jedi. I, I love. I love Star Wars. I'm a Star Wars guy. So the Ewoks are a part of my life since I was a little boy. And I know you kind of look like an Ewok, Speedy. Yeah, a little bit. I guess that's an You're as hairy as one. Yeah, that, that goes, this goes back to your uh, COVID thing of where I looked like a <laughs> werewolf. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean. How many times did we talk about what kind of animal we compared to over the last couple of years? I too mean, many times. Too many times. And uh, I think this year you look like an Ewok. I, it's not an animal. It's, it's like a, a made-up animal. But right. uh, you kind of look like an Ewok. You do. All right. I'll, I'll keep that in mind if I'm ever in Jedi training. Well, there you go. And if you have one of those lifesavers, and if you want to pop a lifesaver in your mouth, you could do that too. Anyways, uh, we have a great show lined up for you at 9.30. We'll be talking to Cincinnati Bengals punter Drew Chrisman. He will be a first on our show. This will be a first time on our show. So we're very excited to have uh, Drew on the show. At 10 o'clock, we'll be talking to former NFL receiver and Emmy Award winning, searching for the summit, Mark Pattison. He will be joining us again. Uh, also works for Sports Illustrated, the executive, and climbed the seven highest mountains in the world. So we're looking on having him on the show again. I, I have been waiting for him to come back on our show. It's been over a year, and uh, I, I would love to hear what he has done over the last couple of years with the mountains and the crazy stuff that he's been climbing. So looking forward to getting him on the show again. The Jets signed Quinton Williams to a four-year, $96 million extension, 66 million dollars guaranteed we will get into that a new report says that the commander's sale could be delayed because of a lawsuit filed by john gruden 
This is going to be fun. We'll get into that report. Say the Giants' best offer to Saquon Barkley was $13 million per year, but only $19.5 million guaranteed. That is what is setting, I guess, Saquon Barkley off. So uh, he's not very happy about that. Uh, Dalvin Cook says he will likely wait until training camp to sign with a team. So it could be Minnesota. It could be the New England Patriots. It could be anybody, including the Jets. I, I do not want Dalvin Cook. I'm just letting all you Jet fans out there know, in Brees, we trust. I believe Brees Hall will be ready for the beginning of the season. We will search it on Hard Knocks as, uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks, Hard Knocks will be out. We'll be enjoying the, I guess, the greatness of Aaron Rodgers on the camera. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing Aaron Rodgers on a camera. Uh, nobody in their wildest dreams would believe that Aaron Rodgers would be on Hard Knocks. So this is going to be a really, really, really good year for Hard Knocks. Not just because you're a Jet fan. Not because, hey, you know what? It, it's New York and everybody wants to see what's going to happen with the Jets this year. I just think it's it's a very intriguing season for the New York Jets. Um. Buster Olney says that the Yankees are the team most likely to acquire Shea Otani if he is traded at the trade deadline. That is a story. Could you imagine the Yankees land Otani? They probably have one of the greatest pitching staffs in baseball history if they stay healthy. And the middle of their lineup would be Murder's Row again. Shea Otani and Aaron Judge. That would be crazy. That would be crazy. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen, but you know what? It's wishful thinking. We'll get into that. Many reports believe that James Harden is only interested in going to play for the Clippers. So we will get into the whole James Harden thing. It, it's spreading like a wildfire all over Twitter. It really is. People are, are throwing out pictures of James Harden 20 years from now. As an old man. How long and, did his beard get? <laughs> longer. <laughs> he looks like a, a wizard. <laughs> I'm looking forward uh, to getting to that story. Bracket Wars Championship match. The number two seed, Wayne Gretzky, as he moves on from last night's divisional game versus the number one seed, Michael Jordan. So get ready, guys. We will pick a winner tonight. So I know a lot of Jet fans we're waiting for this to happen. I think everybody and their mother was waiting for Quinn and Williams to sign a contract. And boy, oh boy, did he get a contract today. Quinn Williams signed a four-year, $96 million extension worth about $66 million guaranteed. Quinn averaged an annual value of 24 per year, second highest among defensive tackles, right behind Aaron Donald. Quinn will play the 2023 season under a fifth-year player option worth about $9.59 million, and the extension will run from 2024 to 2027. Quinn is the first player the Jets drafted first round to sign a second contract right behind Muhammad Wilkerson in 2011. Williams had a 55 total tackle season last year, 12.5 sacks, and 28 quarterback hits last 
season. Because Quinn is playing on his fifth-year option this season, the Jets still have $21.4 million in cap space. So what does that tell you? It could be Dalvin Cook. It could be anybody. I, I do not believe the Jets are going to bring any more players in with this roster unless there's a significant injury like we saw with Clark and they brought Amos in. I do not believe the Jets are going to make a drastic move at running back or wide receiver. Everybody keeps talking about Hopkins. He's not going to the Jets. The thoughts are right now is get Quinn Williams signed before hard knocks. And I believe the Jets for three weeks knew they were going to be on hard knocks. I really do believe this. I had an inside source tell me two and a half weeks ago that they are absolutely going to win hard knocks this season. And what happens? I was attacked all over YouTube, all over Twitter, telling me that I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Do not put bites out there that are false information. Where are those guys now? I haven't gotten anything. Nothing on YouTube anymore from those clips that you posted, Speedy. Not one. Not one valuable comment that we have heard over the last, and I say valuable because there was no value in it. So it was valuable. Not to me, maybe to everybody else. Honestly, Quinn Williams was going to sign no matter what. The Jets were going to sign him before OTAs were going to start. He didn't want to join minicamp. And and does it hurt Quinn Williams? Not really. I've seen his training this offseason. He's been working out. He's been running and working out with his brother and a bunch of defensive linemen on the Jets. He's been in the gym together with Makai Becton. Quinton Williams was going to be ready for the season. And anybody that thought that the Jets were going to have problems signing Quinton Williams is an idiot. Because Robert Sala, when he was on on the Rich Eisen show the other day, I I would say it was about a week and a half ago, when when he asked him about Quinton Williams and the contract, he was not worried. Not worried at all. Because he knew the Jets were going to sign Quinton Williams. But the fact is, the Jets had to situate the whole Aaron Rodgers contract, see how they're going to value one year to the next and and figure out how the cap works. And this year they wanted to keep an open cap space because if they need to add an offensive lineman or an offensive player, if somebody gets hurt during OTAs or during the preseason, they can absolutely do that. But right now, The Jets are absolutely a top six, top seven favorite to come out and win the Super Bowl. There's no question. And I don't look at Vegas and where Vegas ranks them. Uh, And I think Vegas had them ranked, I think, six or seven over the last few months. I think the fact that you add Quinn Williams to this defense, you have a top three defense. Last year you had a top five. This year, because they know and every single player practically is still on this roster. Maybe Kawan Alexander is not. You had Woods, you had guys like Jefferson too, two defensive linemen that are going to have to learn the scheme. But besides that, the Jets are positioned to succeed this year defensively. The offensive side of the ball, it depends on Aaron Rodgers' health. That offensive line is, 
obviously going to be questioned early this offseason. As OTA start, who is going to start at left tackle? Is it Dwayne Brown or Makai Becton? How healthy is Elijah Vera Tucker? Who's going to start at center? You, there's a lot of questions. And Lincoln Sim, I, I, I look at where the Jets were last year, especially at the offensive line. A lot of these guys, especially the free agents that they brought in and signed, just didn't work. I question, obviously, the coaching, especially the offensive offensive mind that they had over there. They have a new guy, Nathaniel Hackett, who obviously was brought in to lure over Aaron Rodgers. I believe that was the reason why they did it. Now, Nathaniel Hackett has succeeded as an offensive coordinator for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. As a matter of fact, his two best seasons, his back-to-back MVPs, came from Nathaniel Hackett and his scheme and the way he likes to run his offense. They bring some wide receivers over. They bring in a bunch of old wide receivers that know Aaron Rodgers and Randall Cobb, who probably is limping his way to the end zone. This team is built to win. And Quinn Williams is the anchor to this defense, Speedy. Absolutely. And you look at a case of this 4-3 defense, the way it's built, the way Robert Sala's defense has always been built, even when he was in Seattle as uh, whatever D-line coach or whatever he was over there. They always had those attacking 4-3 defense styles with a good defensive tackle that could rush the passer. And Quinton Williams, you saw the numbers last year, really got that to fruition finally in his second year playing in a 4-3 defense after he was held back kind of in a 3-4 defense with Greg Williams the first couple of years of his career, which is a lot harder for a defensive tackle to get the numbers and the pressure rate numbers that you saw Quinton Williams get last year and as a result his full potential was unlocked he was as a prospect thought of as the fastest defensive prospect defensive tackle prospect we probably saw probably since Nadavakin Sue when he came out of the draft and and you really saw that consistency all game, all season long, ever since that Bengals game that you mentioned all the time, where he had the outburst on the sideline. He really took over after that and really was consistent when a lot of these other guys were hurt or just inconsistent throughout the year and really anchored that Jets pass rush to finally have something consistent, which they've had issues with in years past, too. They've always been a good, pretty good run defense for the most part, the Jets, over the years, but they've never been good at getting to the quarterback. And Quinton Williams changed all that in a heartbeat and very well deserved he got his money. Adamikin Sue was one of the more overpriced over, I, overrated players defensively, I remember from the last 15, 20 years. I never thought Adamic and Sue was that great of a defensive lineman. Now, his numbers would obviously argue that. He's been a pretty good defensive lineman all his, really, for, for his full career, but he has been a bad boy in the NFL. He's done a lot of stupid things, and we all know the Jets aren't going to bring him, uh, bring him in defensively because him and Aaron Rodgers don't get along. <laughs> So, as we all know, what Adamican Sue did to Aaron Rodgers on Turkey Day as he stepped on Aaron Rodgers. So, we, we all know the back-and-forth banter in social, off of social media over the last couple of years with him and Aaron Rodgers when Aaron Rodgers does speak about idiots like Adamican Sue. 
Uh, Simon Baccarella in the comment section. Jets went from a 32nd ranked offense to possibly a top seven this year. Tie in the already established defense, and this team won't be a pushover anymore. No, I and I don't think the Jets are going to be pushed around this year. I, I really don't. And all the questions all lie on Aaron Rodgers. If they can protect Aaron Rodgers, this team is going to be a fun offensive season for the New York Jets because you're going to see Garrett Wilson put up 14, 1500 yards, about eight to ten touchdowns. I expect Nicole Hardman to have a good season because Aaron Rodgers could use him in so many different ways in a scheme. You could put him on the outside. You could put him in a slot. He's got a tremendous amount of speed if he can hold on to the ball. Conklin's going to have one of his better seasons. He's, this is the best quarterback he's ever played with. Even when he was in Minnesota, he's never had a quarterback this good throwing the ball. And we can go on and on and on and on and on. And, and the, the running back room is going to be very talented, too. If Brees Hall is even 90% from what he was last year, he is going to be explosive. I think Bam played very well last year uh, when he took over. And even Michael Carter, who made a lot of mistakes last year, I still think he's a, a fascinating player to this offense because you can use him in so many different ways and so many different schemes for Nathaniel Hackett's offense. And again, I when you look at this contract, too, for Quentin Williams, Joe Douglas did a good job in terms of making it where he could still play on that option this year too and then adjust all the money later on down the road too and they could adjust it again we've seen we talked about cap manipulation yesterday where we see these teams like the Saints and the Browns over the years really just restructure every year and it seems like just when they don't have money they have money again and the Jets we saw that this offseason too there were points in the offseason where the Jets had like 3 million in cap space and then they were <laughs> able to get up to 20 out of nowhere so they this contract gives them a lot of leeway to be able to do that and fill in those other holes that they need like you were saying the linebackers and the safeties a lot of them knew all at once. Quincy Would you Williams bring back Kawan Alexander? Uh, I, I think at this point there are better options to wait for the trade deadline because I think there'll be better linebackers that become available if it still becomes an issue. I know Tampa has been looking to possibly trade Devin White as one option. And I think. Do you think the Jets have enough and, and have enough money on their cap to add Devin White? I don't know about to sign him long term. That, 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 then why would to, you bring him in? Uh, if you think you're, that, that is your only weakness on the team and you don't have to trade anything for him, you only have to trade like a fourth round pick as a rental, I would do that. It's taking a chance, and then you lose a fourth-round draft pick for next year. And and you saw the Jets. It's valuable when it comes to the draft because everything that Joe Douglas does, and especially what he capitalizes on, is the way he drafts. That's true. I also think there's if again if that's the only weakness available, I don't mind. I don't think the mind the Jets will mind trading a day three pick in order to do that kind of thing. And I don't. He's not the only one too. There could be other other ones available. We talked about how bad the NFC is. The NFC does have some good linebackers though. Maybe Demario Davis, an ex Jet. If the Saints struggle next year, could be a sun option. I think for them. the Saints defense is going to be explosive. I do I too. I'm just saying if they're down. The, in the NFC team. is so weak. If you look at Derek Carr, Derek Carr is probably the third best quarterback in the NFC. In the conference. That's how bad the quarterback play is going to be in the NFC this year. And I, I just, I look at so many quarterbacks that had good seasons last year. And we all know the one in Seattle. Are we going to believe that Geno Smith is going to have another back-to-back year where he is going to be a dominant force and, and possibly be an MVP candidate like he was last year? I don't think so. I, I think it's, I think Seattle is what they are. Okay, we we understand they got Bobby Wagner back. This defense could still be very explosive. They played well in the second half too, and and I expect them to do the same this year with the weapons that they added, even the wide receivers that they added in the draft. So 
I just don't know if Seattle is going to be where everybody expects them to be this coming season. Uh, Simon also says, I heard Brees on NFL Network, and he said he will be ready for week one. Yeah, every player's going to say that. Uh, I like Kawan better than Quincy. They should bring him back. I'm not saying they shouldn't do it at the right price. Simon. Why does everybody hate Quincy? I, I, there's so many people that hate Quincy Williams. And I, I understand. He is he has a lot of missed tackles. I, I think if you look at the average, I think he's one of the worst linebackers in the league when it comes to missed, cav- missed tackles and stuff like that for linebackers. But my question here for all the Jet fans, you sit here and, and you say, okay, I like Kawan Alexander better. Kawan Alexander looked like he died down in the second half of the season. He wasn't the same explosive player he was in the first half of the season. The Jets' defense was completely different in the second half of the season. The linebackers, even though C.J. Mosley was a second-team All-Pro player, I still look at the Jets in the way they play defense in the second half. They look like they broke down in the later third and fourth quarters. And that had a lot to do because the offense was out on the field too long. But again, when you talk about defense and you're trying to compare and contrast the best defenses in a league, you expect the safety position to help out the linebackers in something that the safety position did not do last year for the New York Jets. And Simon, going back to your point, I also think, too, that because there's going to be other teams that are bad that we don't know about, or just in a loaded AFC, somebody's going to cancel each other out. There's going to be teams that are trying to shed these linebacker contracts if they're either expiring contracts or they're semi-big contracts. And the Jets, if that is their only weakness, middle of the field defense, like right now is projected to be, then they have the money leeway to do that kind of thing. Now, again, if they have other issues with injuries, like you were saying, offensive line, maybe they have to use that money in other places instead. That's fu- that's different. You need to protect Aaron Rodgers at all costs. You could try to have the scheme. Jeff Ulbrich and Robert Sala work well with that. But I'm just saying those options are available that are right now better than Kawan Alexander if those teams happen to struggle. I, I worry about Kawan Alexander. This guy, not last year, but throughout his career, he was an injury-prone player. I understand he knows Robert Sala his defense. I understand that he played for the Saints and he played very well with the Saints, but there was obviously a reason last year before he signed with the Jets that really nobody else was interested in adding adding a guy like Kawan Alexander. Now, I'm not saying Kawan didn't have a good season, and I I agree with you. Quincy missed, missed a lot of big hits last year. He absolutely did. But the thing is, if the Jets didn't believe Quincy... Williams wasn't wasn't going to be a big part of this linebacking core moving forward with Quinn Williams going to be there for the next four years, then the Jets probably wouldn't have given him a three-year extension. So I, I, I agree with you, and I think the linebacker position is going to be very open. I would love to see Sherwood play a little bit this year. Uh, we interviewed him. He's a good kid, uh, played for Auburn, and, and I, I think the type of style of the way he plays the game, and they moved him from safety to the linebacker position, the Jets. I expect that we will see some of these youngsters that the Jets and Joe Douglas has drafted in the last couple of years. And they drafted a linebacker, I think, in the fourth or fifth round, too. So, yeah, Zaire Barnes, yeah, who I do so, like, too. Yeah, so he's a guy, and he's a good run stopper. And by the way, the weakness of the Jets' defense last year was stopping the run. They added Woods, they added Jefferson. Done. And I believe the Jets are going to clog up the middle this year and challenge a lot of these top offenses to beat them on the outside. And that's why it's so very important when they went after Will McDonald in the draft. It's so very important to see what Johnson is going to do in his second year and how they're going to use him in this in this defense. There, there's so many questions that only Robert Sala and the New York Jets defense is going to be able to answer, maybe in hard knocks. I don't think they're going to show anything on hard knocks that – 
people are going to learn going to learn about this defense because that's what the Jets do. And that's what's interesting about the Jets over the last couple of years and Joe Douglas. Joe Douglas does not reveal his hands. He has not, and he will not. So this isn't the same New York Jet team with the McCagnins of the world, the Isaac of the world, or the, the Tannenbaums of the world, and the Rex Ryan era. This is not that kind of Jets team anymore. I think the Jets are going to be a very unique team this year, and I think they're going to do a lot of different things that people are not going to expect them to do, especially the way they're going to run their offense. And again, the other thing that the Jets' cap space gives them a lot of leeway to do is get guys in quantity, too, Mm -hmm. because most of the Jets' weaknesses on paper right now are positions that are not financially difficult to fill. And the only one that might be an issue just with the injury could be a tackle. But again, if one guy is hurt, they have enough guys that can move around. Remember, Elijah Vera Tucker played tackle at a certain point last year, so they if they have to do that, they could do that too and maybe transition somebody like Carter Warren into a guard role or, or some of those other rookies. Uh, they could also experiment with playing Elijah Vera Tucker a tackle at the start of the season and try Becton as a guard too. It's a possibility. Now I know Paul as then when he was on the show last week said mm-hmm. he's a lock to play right tackle at this point. Uh, yeah, that's most likely the scenario, but the Jets have to keep everything in mind because we don't know how but he's going to But you don't back. even know what's going to happen to Dwayne Brown this year. In, and obviously the preseason or OTAs, he, he just had shoulder surgery. How healthy is Dwayne Brown going to be? True. So we don't know. And if, if it's not him, is it going to be Tucker? Is Tucker going to move that left tackle position because he's played with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay and that's why he took less money to come to the Jets for one year? Or do they they move and they decide to move their their young left tackle who hasn't played left tackle in two years? I think that's more of an understanding of where the Jets are going. I, I do believe one way or another they want Makai Becton to win that job. I really do believe that. And they want him to go out there and they want to tell him, hey, you know what? Dwayne Brown is going to have that job. And what's he going to do in preseason and OTAs at 340 pounds, the lightest he's been since college? He's going to go out there and be beastly. And that's when he is going to prove that he is worth every penny in the offseason going into his fifth year option where the Jets can franchise him and decide what they're doing him doing with him the year after. And the other thing, too, is training camp cuts. The uh-huh. Jets could build up more depth that mm-hmm. way, too. A bunch of $3 million offensive linemen and $3 million safeties, whatever, linebackers, whatever. They could get maybe three of those guys to just get more depth on that roster, too. And then you still have $10 million or so to restructure everything else if you need to. Yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting with the New York Jets, hard knocks. Quinton Williams is now signed, so nobody talk about this anymore. <laughs> no more about Quinton Williams. He is now under contract. The Jets are pretty much signed and they're ready to go now the questions will be answered are the jets with 21.7 million dollars still available are they going to land dalvin cook are they going to make a bigger move that has not been thought of only time will tell i do not believe so i believe what joe douglas is going to do is he's going to sit on that money if he needs to make a move in the middle of the season if he needs to sign somebody uh, who's probably retired or about to retire where he can bring him out of retirement and sign him to a decent deal because that's what joe douglas does he brings in veteran guys and hopes for the best and hasn't worked out for him yet but his drafts have as we saw last year and even this past year of uh uh, this year's draft with Will McDonald. I think Will McDonald will be explosive. I've heard a lot of people rave about this guy, and Brees Hall speaks nothing but high praise of him. So I'm looking forward 
to uh, seeing him on the field this year. When we come back, we'll be talking to Cincinnati Bengals punter Drew Chrisman here on the Sports Lamounts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. You are listening to the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, you can go to our website at www. WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouths, which airs every single Wednesdays now at 9 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. for the summer as it will transition when the fall and the winter comes. Football season, the kids go back to school. They can listen to us if they, Mommy, Mommy, I want to listen to that crazy kid Speedy on the other line, or whatever they plan to do. Uh, they can have the opportunity to listen to us. Uh, during this school year, because they have to go to bed at you know no later than eight o'clock, uh, so maybe one hour will be good enough to listen to us and our craziness. But anyways, ah uh, man, this is the first time we're going to have this guy on the show, and I want I want to build a good relationship with him. We are now talking to Cincinnati Bengals punter Drew Chrisman. Drew, what's up, man? How we doing? Yeah, no, doing great. Thanks for having me on. I'm just uh, procrastinating some dishes mm. late here, so. Uh, Thank you for that. <laughs> we forgive you. Well, you know, I could I could see your wife telling you. Are you married? I am married. So I am married. I, I'm sure your wife says it's your night to wash the dishes, and after that, you're going to go upstairs and wash the dogs. How about that? <laughs> no dogs, but we got the one year old. Luckily, she's already done. So <laughs> that, that's been taken care of. Well, there you that's go. Her, that's her job of the night. Well, you're young, and it's great that you're married and you have a kid already. So you're racking in, and and by by the way, playing in the NFL, which is probably a dream come true. But before we get into that, how are you and your family doing with COVID nineteen and all that other stuff? Oh shoot, yeah, we're doing great. Um, actually, we uh, we kind of thrived during COVID in a way. We got married. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> On uh, March twenty first, twenty twenty. So if you kind of think back in wow. those days, that was uh, right at the peak, and uh, we went and uh, booked a flight to Hawaii and mm. waited out the pandemic there for about a month, and then still came back. Obviously, it was still going on, but uh, as far as COVID stories, ours ours uh, is on the uh, better side for sure. Well, that's good, and and I'm happy that everything's going well for you and your family. We always ask everybody that because that was a tough time, and I couldn't imagine getting married at that time because. Everybody's probably wearing masks. Uh, I mean, even the priest is probably wearing a mask when he's talking to you. So that was well, probably we interesting. Know. We uh, we saved a lot of money. <laughs> I'm sure in you way, did. Way, I'm grateful for COVID. <laughs> <laughs> There's not, not, not many better ways to social distance than in an island state with a wedding. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, Zoom, Zoom wedding, that's about as cheap as you can get. Oh man, I, I I saw that too. There was a lot of Zoom weddings. They're very interesting, and and these guys, the people that are obviously priests and reverends or whatever the heck that are are marrying these people, uh, they're doing it online and they're making pretty big bucks too. I I mean, could you imagine that? Uh, you get your certification online and you can be certified, and and then I could be somebody that marries you. I could just sit there and say, oh, you, you want me to marry you? Yeah, sure. Why not? And and sign something, and then you're married. There you go. Speedy, you want to get married? No. All right. I'm just asking. 
Anyways, uh, <laughs> we are obviously we are talking to Cincinnati Bengals punter Drew Chrisman. Drew, let's get into your season, and it was an interesting season, a very interesting start of your season, and how everything started to develop for uh, the Bengals. Cincinnati, obviously with Joe Burrow and the weapons that you have, you have Jamar Chase there, you have a ton of weapons. What were your thoughts earlier this season, the way you guys started, and how everything slowly picked up as you move further into the second half of the season? Yeah, I mean, uh, shoot, for me personally, I was just trying to have a job. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't even the punter until about halfway through the season. Just kind of how specialist works. Um, Just a very, just a brutal carousel. And you're just just hoping to get on the right horse and stay on it for as long as you can. Um, So this is my second season with the Bengals. Um, So really, I've only kind of known success since I've been in the locker room. (laughs) Um, I grew up a Bengals fan, though. You, if you know the history of the Bengals, it has not always been this way. No, no, not in the slightest. And so, you know, it's been it, it's been almost an expectation that you know we're going to be good. It felt it felt like that way in college when I was at Ohio State, and it, it didn't have a any kind of different feeling in the locker room than um, now professionally, which is is rare in that locker room. And I, as long as you got those weapons you were talking about, I don't think that feeling is going to um, change anytime soon. Yeah, so you actually uh, replaced the punter, Kevin Huber, that was there mm-hmm. for a long time, almost a decade with the Bengals. What was he like as a teammate, and how has he helped mentor your game as a, as a special teams guy? No, Kevin Kevin was phenomenal. Um, he actually just retired, shoot, it was about a week ago. Mm. Actually, I think 14 years, I believe, in Cincinnati. Born and raised, went to UC, and then obviously with the Bengals for a really long time. So he's about as Cincinnati as you can get. I grew up watching him. Um, you know, something I, I've even watched his tape to even – learn how to punt myself. So it was, you know, it was very special to be, you know, around him and kind of learn, see, see how he, you know, acted and operated um, the two years I was there before I eventually took over. And, uh, but yeah, he was just a first class guy. He, uh, he actually gave me some old cleats uh, when I first got there. Um, there was no, you know, bad blood because I was the first punter they actually brought in to compete with him, you know, preseason wise. And, you know, I was kind of curious how that would go because he'd never had someone like that before. And, um, he was just he's just a stand up guy and um I have nothing but respect for him and hope he has a, a very happy retirement. So mm. Well, I'm not retired, so I would be happy when I retire if I ever get a chance to do that. But that's just me. I mean, you're a professional football player, so you, you play another four, five, six years. You get your contracts, and you can retire and enjoy your life. But, uh, you know, Speedy over here, he, he's, he's a young guy, and I'm moving up there in age. I'm probably twice your age, but that's just me. Uh, as everybody knows, we're talking to Cincinnati Bengals punter Drew Chrisman. Drew you have a quarterback on your roster that not only is one of the elite quarterbacks in the league, people have compared him to guys like Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers and how cool he is in the pocket and how he doesn't fear who he's playing against week in and week out. What type of player is Joe Burrow? Yeah, I mean, um, I think that's the word. I think very well suits him is just cool. Um Humble, too. I mean, he, he really embodies, you know, the Cincinnati culture. And I think that, you know, spreads throughout the locker room. And, and the persona that we've kind of put on lately is just guys who are just going to go in, put the work in, and get the job done. And a story I kind of always tell about Joe is, or at least how I describe him. So he played, I played with him in college. Mm-hmm. He was at Ohio State for the first two years before he transferred to LSU and obviously had 
tremendous amount of success there. Um, but even, you know, scout team quarterback, you know, just getting reps with, you know, against our first team defense, the guy never complained. Uh, you know, he just came in, put the work in and we knew he had talent obviously, but we had, you know, a slew of quarterbacks at the time, mm-hmm. um, you know, just trying to find his, his spot there. And even now after all su- these success that he's had, it, it's still Joe, you know, it's still the same guy that I saw that was taking backup reps and playing against our, uh, you know, starting defense during practice. Um, you know, he's still just that humble guy that just, it didn't get to his head. And I think that, you know, I think that speaks a lot about him and, and just his character. And I think the success he's having, I don't think, I don't see that changing anytime soon. So you were on the practice squad during the Bengals Super Bowl year when they uh, they beat the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. But just the team culture and also the city culture, that in that whole playoff run and that whole season, what was that like? It was special. Um, so... I wasn't on the I wasn't on the practice squad when they actually went to the Super Bowl. I was, <laughs> I was uh, technically fired five times that wow. first year. I was so I live a half hour away from the stadium in a small town, Lawrenceburg, Indiana, mm-hmm. right outside of Cincinnati. So I was kind of the first one in, first one out when they needed a, a guy on the practice squad. If a guy got dinged up in the game, tight end or whatever, um, I was I was you don't carry two two punters on the roster typically. So right. I was getting the boot, the first first option. Um, so I wasn't actually on the uh, the team when they went to the Super Bowl, but I was I was there enough throughout the season to kind of get the feeling of it and just how much just the city exploded. Um, even when I wasn't on the roster and per se, I'd still go to the games. I'd be sitting in the crowd and uh, you know get, getting the fan perspective. <laughs> and I've been to a lot of games, and there some of the when we beat the uh, it was the Raiders, the first playoff game, and then the drought. I mean, the, 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 the vibes just walking out of that stadium were just absolutely electric. Um, I can't even imagine what it was like downtown, you know, on the way to the Super Bowl. And if we would have won the Super Bowl, I don't think this city would have stopped partying for a week. Um, and I, I, it's something we, we certainly want to get back to and give to these very deserving fans. So when you weren't on the Bengals, you were cleaning a lot of dishes. Is that what you're telling us? I had plenty of time for dishes, diapers, <laughs> the whole the whole nine yards. That was full time daddy duty. But, uh, well, there you go. I mean, we we saw that with Marcus Mariota. If you haven't checked out the quarterbacks, he decided uh, to get his knee surgery uh, with Atlanta, and then obviously he stepped out, and now he's with the Eagles. So anything is possible, and he he got a chance to spend a little bit more time with his child. When you're an NFL player and you see Patrick Mahomes, you see a lot of you guys. You travel a lot, and during the season, you're away from your family. You know. A significant amount and you're practicing and you're training you have to stay in shape what is it like being an NFL player from moving from college to the NFL yeah um I feel like you just kind of really see more of the business side um in terms of actually time spent you know in season is bare I mean it's a full-time job you know you're mm-hmm. there you know, while you're at practice and then afterwards you know you're watching film from my, my position in general has a little bit more free time. Uh, <laughs> I'm not Marcus Mariota. I'm not putting in the hours Joe Burrow is. Um, more so, I'm getting my legs rested more mm-hmm. than half to actually watch film. Um, so it, it, time commitment-wise, it is probably less throughout the year because um, college, they own you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, it's 24-7, 365. doesn't matter if you're in season. More so, the out of off-season is actually busier than in season because of strength coach and classroom in general here you know you're professional they they trust you to get your work in get your job done 
Um, like the time we're in right now, this month and a half off between OTAs and training camp, it's just really up to us. We can go in and get work and, or we cannot. They'll find out in, what is it, two weeks from now, how much work we actually put in this time. And um, they, have, they have ways of motivating you through the, uh, the paycheck and the salary. So that, that's the motivation they, they use at this level. And, and you really get to see that side of it. Um, talking about my first year getting cut five times, I really got to see that side of it. You know, there is no job security at all at this profession. It doesn't really matter what, who you are. Um, you know, it, it could be over like that, you know, NFL, not for long. So you just got to mm. enjoy it as long as you can. So you're telling us that your wife is outside during the day when you're ready to get back into shape and she has a stopwatch and she says, okay, let's go, Drew, ready, go. And she's standing all of a sudden and she's on the other side with a bike uh, trying to figure out what you run your 40 or what you run 200 meters or whatever you're running over there. She's your push, right? Is it your well, wife? She's the most intimidating string coach I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to get into the uh, rivalry you guys have. You and the Chiefs, really. There's been a lot of trash talk recently with mm. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. Well, hold on. Hold on. And... It was the mayor of Cincinnati that was talking. Well, the that. mayor of Cincinnati yes, fueled, it was. The, the fueled it in the playoffs. But even recently, we're seeing Travis Kelsey and Mahomes versus Chase and Burrow going at it and all these other guys going at it. So, uh, like, on the field, what is that rivalry like between you guys and the Chiefs? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's all fun, and, you know, it's all fun the offseason, but I think even Joe said it, like, we'll find out in December. Mm -hmm. you know, that's that's when the real talking starts um, and the, the conversations are ended, um, you know, the, come those dates. Um, this is all kind of fun, you know, you, people enjoy it, but, you know, and uh, it, it's fun to, you know, have this rivalry too. And, you know, looking back just a couple of years ago, who, who would have thought the Bengals would have been, you know, talking in, the, in this kind of conversation mm -hmm. so, you know, honestly, it's amazing to be in this spot. And, and I think we have a good say. And I don't think people think we're in the wrong in a lot of things that, you know, we're talking about. So it's, it's exciting. We are talking to Cincinnati Bengals punter Drew Chrisman. Drew, here's a question for you. The AFC is elite this year. You have so many teams that re-upped this offseason. The New York Jets, we were just speaking about them. Aaron Rodgers is the starting quarterback over there. Uh, you have Tua healthy. You added, uh, I mean, you added J Jalen Ramsey. I mean, their secondary is just as strong as the Jets' secondary. And then you have the Buffalo Bills. And then you have Baltimore in your division. You have the Browns with Deshaun Watson for a full season. You even have Russell Wilson! With the Broncos, and yes, Mr. Sean Payton over there. You have a ton of talent in the AFC quarterbacks. Just ridiculous talent. What are the challenges this year for the Bengals? You mentioned it's, it's, it's a pretty stacked uh, conference here. And, uh, you know, one we, we, we look forward to. We, uh, we certainly don't shy away from it. You know, give us the hard route. We'll take it the hard way. And, uh, and we'll be better for it. But, you know, you mentioned all the talent that is in the AFC, but uh, Joe Burrow. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, he's a game changer, you know. Um, you know, push comes to shove. That's the guy you want on the team. And, obviously, we've seen that over the last couple of seasons. So, you know, we got him at the helm. And the, the other playmakers you've mentioned, I think we'll be all right. You know, I, I love I love Drew. You know, he sits here and he's like – I ask him a, a really serious question. I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning quarterbacks and players and coaches. And you know what he says? You know what? Joe Burrow. That's, that's, that's all I got to say. I've, Joe Burrow. As a whole, that's, that's <laughs> everyone, that entire 
entire saying right there. So. Well, you know what? I, I love the confidence, and I love Joe Burrow. I think he's a fantastic quarterback. It, it's so funny when, when you see a guy who just transfers from Ohio State to go to LSU and then just break every single record in college history, wins a national championship in a Heisman. Nobody even would have thought he was going to be a number one pick in a draft, and he goes number one, and he's one of the elite quarterbacks in the league as quick as we can blink. So it's unbelievable. It really is. It's an unbelievable story. And uh, if Joe Burrow goes on these runs that we've seen Patrick Mahomes do over the last couple of years, which I believe he will, I think Joe Burrow is going to win – I, I think at least two Super Bowls uh, with the Bengals. I, I really think he's that talented, and he is the only one that has Patrick Mahomes' number. And I don't care what Patrick says. Travis Kelsey could dance around and sing Hoopla, Cypress Hill, whatever the hell he's singing. It doesn't matter to me because Travis Kelsey is getting up there in age, and once he's gone, what are they going to do over there? I, I just don't see the weapons there that's going to – you know, put them up on the pedestal like your guy, your team, and the talent that you have over there at wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're young. I think that's the biggest. You're thing. young. You're 24 years old. You're a baby. 26, actually. Just turned. Oh, long ago. I'm getting real, feeling real old now. <sighs> I'm, I'm going to give you my age, okay? And then you, then you can say I'm as old as dirt. I am 41 years old, my friend. 41. 41, I'm getting up there in age, man. I'm still, you know, I'm still in the gym. I'm still pumping the iron, my friend. Like you, I mean, you probably don't pump the iron. You, you probably you're squatting and doing uh, all, all that crazy the, stuff. You know, Pilates. Oh, you do Pilates? I enjoy the weight room. Really? Uh, you, like, you do Pilates? Uh, I've done some Pilates in the past. Big in the yoga. I'm a big yoga guy. So you and your wife go to yoga, hot yoga? Oh, she's huge hot I, yoga. I, pff, I, I knew. She's a instructor, actually. My really? Mom yoga instructor my mother-in-law is a yoga instructor wow the mali yoga i've gone to i could probably be deemed a yoga instructor um, <laughs> but yeah hot yoga that's that's a that's a beast of its own that's that's certainly my wife's you know that's her forte i, I enjoy enjoy just nice deep stretch not torture Maybe, maybe you have to teach your teammates. You guys could do some kind of like yoga celebration type thing for a touchdown celebration. They're pretty creative. I don't think they need any advice from me. But if they got if they ask me, I will give them. I'll give them some tips. Yeah, you guys, you guys, the Vikings and the Dolphins, like all three of your those three teams had like these great, great elaborate celebrations with their it's touchdowns. Not, I never. I don't know where they practice it. I never see it in practice. And this was just like maybe a group chat that like send each other videos. Like, all right, this is what we're doing. And just be ready when it happens and watch this video. I, I, I don't ever see them practice it, but they're very creative. Well, yeah. I, I would love to see Zach Taylor do some Pilates, okay, and some yoga. Could you imagine Zach doing that? I see him screaming on the sidelines when something's going wrong on the other side. But you, could you imagine saying, guys, you know what we're going to do at, you know, at halftime? We're going to do some Pilates, hot, hot yoga. And, and Chris, Drew, Chrisman's wife, is going to come in, and she's going to help us out with the stretching. <laughs> see joe joe be like what <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe joe burrow has to get all of them cigars and then you have to do yoga with a cigar in your mouth and challenge yourself like that could you imagine joe you know smoking a cigar while he's doing pilates <laughs> the great pilates challenge of joe, of joe burrow's cigars put them all in all at once 
So I wanted to transition uh, to, uh, to your Ohio State career because uh, there's a lot of personalities over there in your time playing there. You mentioned Burrow was there your first year before he transferred there, but they had a lot of talent between Nick Bosa and uh, Terry McLaurin was there for a while. They had a lot of guys. Who, who were some of the most interesting personalities on those Ohio State teams? Interesting personalities? Um, I mean, shoot, Urban Meyer, that's uh, <laughs> okay. apart from, you know, players. I think everybody, when he was there, I mean, it was, you're walking on needles, you know, just in the hallways. I think sometimes it's hard to almost be out of your shell a little bit while you're, while you're walking around just because, just because how much just, he was just in our, in our heads, you know? I mean, I feel like I still have some PTSD, just so <laughs> some things, just like worrying about just the smallest little things. And he was kind of the punting coach as well for me. So even more so walking into a punting meeting uh, when he's up there and, and watching every rep standing next to me. I mean, um, I, I certainly, I, he made me better for it, but there were some, there were some interesting practices throughout my college career, but, uh, no, I, I love, I love that man. And, uh, uh, but yeah, that, we had a lot of, a lot of fun in college, a lot of successful teams, um, you know, because of the names you mentioned, I mean, shoot four, four time, big 10 champion, uh, four time, uh, gold pants, uh, you know, whenever I was there and, uh, so yeah, I have nothing, nothing but fond memories of college and, and a lot of the guys on the team, and even guys that I played with are in the locker room now. It's crazy how many Buckeyes found their way to Cincinnati. There were more when I first got there, but for a time being there, I was calling it the Cincinnati Buckeyes. I mean, it was it was ridiculous for for my first uh, year or two. Now I know you're not going to like me, Drew, because over the last couple of years, I've been complaining that. I believe the NFL should get rid of special teams. I, I I said that I just think special teams is just causing too many concussions and too many problems, but it, then a lot of people, including the kickers, would lose their jobs. So we don't want that to happen because we want Drew to have a job. So what did you think about the new kicking rules for the NFL? I, I want to hear it from a punter. Yeah, so the new one is is on kickoff with the fair catch rule, mm-hmm. the rule from college. Uh, yeah, I mean you're talking about all. You, it's not eliminating the kickoff in a way, but it's certainly it's certainly heading towards that way. I think of all the rules that they could have brought in from all the different you know variations of what you see in like the USFL, you know XFL. I feel like college was probably the worst one you could have brought. But if you're trying to eliminate kickoff, then, that, you know, that's the one you, you bring in. So um, what I think we've got some tricks up our sleeve. I know mm. our, our special teams coordinator, Darren, he's been in the league for 20 years. He's seen it all. So, you know, he's got a way he's going to find a way to make it successful. Um, but no, there there were some grumbling in the locker room for sure. The, I don't I feel like the players, they're not for it. And as much as, um, you know, what high up is what they're saying for player safety, they, they know that this is kind of the beginning of the end um, in a way for maybe kickoff or even you mentioned further down the special teams, who knows what that's going to look like Um, all in the name of safety. But I mean, the guys, the guys don't want to lose a job over it. That's for sure. So one of our fans, Carl has a very good question. Uh, What was the DeMar Hamlin situation like in person in Cincinnati that week? Yeah, that was, it was awesome. You guys watched the ESPYs? I saw a couple clips. Mm -hmm. That was, that was awesome to see, you know, just him up there and, you know, see hug that whole training staff. I mean, truly, I mean, it was that that entire game is almost just a blur at this point. Just how just how bizarre it was. You know, typically when someone goes down, you're like, all right, well, just take a knee real real quick, and it'll be up in you know a couple minutes. But 
I mean, once it once once it went on for a couple of minutes, you just you just had this feeling in your like your just gut, like, man, what this something's wrong. Like this is not right. And then once you started getting a little more information, and uh, I actually our long snapper was te- college teammates with him. And so he was kind of telling us like, oh my gosh, like that, I know that dude, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that really just hits so close to home and it's hard to even process now. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm glad the decisions that were made at that time were definitely the, the right ones looking back, canceling the game. And, uh, you know, I think they even refunded all the fans tickets at the time, which I don't think the, uh, I don't think Cincinnati or anyone had to, um, but I think everyone and everyone made the right decision and now you know, looking back and processing it all. Um, it's something you never want to see. And hopefully somehow we can avoid that in the future. I don't, I don't know the specifics of, you know, how it happened in a way, but uh, we're just glad to, we're just glad to see him. And I mean, shoot, he's, he's playing football again. You know, that's something you, you didn't think you were going to feel that see at that time. And, you know, um, it, it really is like a miracle and hats off to uh, that whole training staff and everybody that was involved. Wow. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us. Uh, I know you you got to get back to your wife. You got to get back to your child. Uh, she's sleeping, right? Uh, it's a little late, so she's probably napping or whatever. Yeah, she's sleeping. <laughs> I see you looking at your wife right now. You probably, yes. Oh, what? Before we let you go, is there any mini series? Is there any TV shows that you and your wife watch that you're looking forward to seeing uh, that you haven't checked out because of the football season or, or you've been checking out since the off season uh, is there any tv shows that you've been checking out this might be a weird one mm. uh one we actually just finished up uh bob's burgers mm. i don't know if you guys are familiar with that little it's like a cartoon little series we started watching it it was kind of i think near the end of the season it's a lot of episodes mm. i mean if you're gonna start getting into this it's like 12 seasons and we were kind of looking for something that we could watch <laughs> for a while i think we just ended up watching we just finished like seinfeld or something mm. We just wanted just some just some dumb comedy thing, and I found this thing, and we fell in love with it. Just <laughs> the family in general, I think, because of that, that. So it's a it's a mom and a dad, mm-hmm. um, Bob and Linda, and they've got three kids. And I think from watching that show and seeing that family, I think we've decided we want three kids. Now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we already got the girl. There's a girl. It goes girl, boy, girl. Mm. In the show. So uh, we got our oldest girl first. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping for a for my gene that's that's the boy in the mm-hmm. show and then uh we got one more girl after that so uh, we had a lot of fun with that we just finished up we were kind of sad it ended but we'll, we'll see I'm, I'm all i'm open to recommendations we're kind of looking for well something the right quarterback now. is is a fantastic really is a good documentary i checked oh, yeah, it out, out. it yeah. was fantastic uh I, I watched all eight episodes in like one day man i went right through it right through it even when uh when uh, kansas city and obviously patrick mahomes played you guys in the AFC championship a couple times. Uh, So I checked it out. Uh, There's a, there's a lot. If you want, I'll, I'll send it to speedy and speedy will give you, I I, I watch a lot of different documentaries. If you like murder documentaries, it's my favorite. I love murder documentaries. So uh, are you a Netflix prime or Hulu guy? Right now we're, we're Netflix. Mm -hmm. Um, the new rule with the new, they just changed the thing. So we just got kicked off the, the parents one. We'll, we'll see what we end up on. We were sharing the parents account, but I changed the rules and or something. Come on. You're making the big bucks. Hey, Come on, you man. Don't how, you don't know how cheap. Do you see this hat I'm in right now? <laughs> I've been doing DoorDash this off season. I mean, we're, we're making, we're, we're, 
we're making some money right now in this offseason. Maybe, maybe you need to go- negotiate with Orlando Brown, who just got that big contract, and see if he can help you out. <laughs> well, we really appreciate your time. We'll keep in touch with you. We'd love to get you on during the season, maybe uh, during your break, and we'll see how you and the Bengals are doing and and really see the, the growth of this team. I, I love what you guys did in the second half of the season. In the first half, I was wondering what's going on with you guys. The offensive line looked like crap. All the moves that you made, everybody said, oh, this is going to be a better offensive line than it was last year. Your offensive line, with the injuries that was dealing with all season long, but somehow it held up, and you guys went all the way to the AFC title game. It is really an amazing story. The fact that you guys didn't win is not the story. The fact that you guys went as far as you did with all the different injuries that you had throughout the season was absolutely amazing. It really was. Well, I don't, I mean, I don't want to say this, but uh, I did get the job right after the bye week. Mm-hmm. So don't lose it. Uh-huh. Don't good luck lose charm. the job. I've lost one game. I've lost one game in my, my NFL career. So I don't know if there was a, if I'm the lucky rabbit's foot or something. Uh, yeah. but, uh, good uh, luck charm. I don't, I don't know the, how much the sway the punter has on that, but uh, it, w- it was fun to be, on the winning half of the season. <laughs> well, you keep winning, and, and hopefully you guys have a very healthy OTAs and preseason and get ready for the season. We'll talk to you soon, man. Thank you for the time. No, thanks for having me on. This was fun. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Drew Chrisman, the punter, now the punter, after the bye week of the Cincinnati Bengals. And I believe this kid, he's a nice kid. He's got a good sense of humor. And I believe this kid is going to have a long, prospering career with the Cincinnati Bengals. And he, and he grew up a Cincinnati Bengals fan. So look at that. He lives over there. He's, what, a couple of blocks away from Cincinnati. He's where he wants to be. So usually when you're where you want to be, you want to make sure that you keep pushing and chugging away. So maybe he doesn't drink. I don't drink. Maybe he'll chug a different way. But thank you, uh, as always, Drew. We really appreciate you. Of course. Yeah, no problem. See you guys. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we've had him on the show before, and we'll have him on the show again. We'll be talking to former NFL receiver, Emmy Award winning, searching for the summit, Mark Patterson. Here. On the Sports Lab Outs. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mouths. <laughs> Little Timberland. 631 672 3108 is the number to call. You are listening to the Sports Loud Mouths. Go to our website at www worldwidesportsradio.com check out all our shows throughout the week they are live you can tune in you can check out the menu bar and you can check out when the shows are airing our show that airs for this summer we moved it from Wednesday from 7pm to 9pm so 9pm's on Wednesday and 9pm on Thursdays tune into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Thank you to Cincinnati punter Drew Chrisman for giving us a half an hour. I know he's a busy guy. He's got a child, an infant. He's got a beautiful wife that does hot yoga. So, and he's watching a lot of his prime Netflix, Hulu TV shows in the offseason. So, I'm very happy that he's enjoying his free time. And another guy that we have interviewed over the last past year, we finally get him back on. We want to see how he's doing, if he's healthy, is he climbing other mountains? We're now talking to former NFL receiver and Emmy Award winning, searching for the summit, Mark Pattison. 
What is going on, Mark? God, there's so much going on. I, I actually played uh, uh, 18 holes today with Jim Mora, mm -hmm. the head coach at University of Connecticut, and there is talk about them moving into the Big 12, but, you know, potentially we'll see. I was going to bring him on as a surprise guest, and things got a little too late. So, uh, anyways, we had to leave him off at the corner. <laughs> and he, he's on his way. He's staying here in Sun Valley, Idaho, and uh, I think he headed back to Connecticut here in the next month or so. Wow. Well, Jimmy is a very well-known coach and very well-respected around the NFL. So, uh, it would have been nice to have Jimmy on, but I'm happy we just have you, my friend. Thank you. It, 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 makes, it makes the show just more interesting. Having Jimmy Moore take away the spotlight from you would be absolutely horrendous. We don't want that, okay? We want Mark. We want Mark Patterson. So tell us, since the last time we spoke to you, any mountains you've climbed since then? Well, yeah, and I, and I can't remember the exact date. And if you got I'm not sure I can see you right now. That's it's beautiful. That there's the big hardware right there. It's and, beautiful. And I'm told that when you win a regional, you get the smaller ones. And when you get the big boys, which is the best picture for searching for the summit, NFL 360 produced it. Amazing film. Um, you know, you get the big boys and there's nobody probably not deserving than me. But somehow or another, when you do things for the love of the game, um, like I played, like I did with the NFL, I do right now for Sports Illustrated and I did you know, climbing the seven summits around the world to become the first NFL player to do so, you know, there's sometimes that there's amazing, amazing outcomes that come out of it that you were never intended in the first place. And that's one of them. Um, answering your question, uh, I'm about 30 days out from going back to Zermatt, Switzerland to take on the Matterhorn. Mm. It's a very intimidating, crazy piece of rock that goes straight up right out of Zermatt, small little uh, ski town in the middle of, of Switzerland. And so I've been training like an animal getting ready for this thing to, to take it on. Did you take Jimmy with you? Or are you going to take Jimmy with you? Uh, Jimmy would freak out. <laughs> but he'll be, he'll be in camp. You know, I was there last year to do it. And, and my, my big mistake, my big miss is that I went in September and I missed it by about a week. And so we get up to the base. I'm looking up there. It's blowing hundred miles per hour. I really wanted to do it just because I'd gone that far. You know, you train, you train, you train, you train, you train. And then there's a guy that was right at the base. He'd done it about 200 times. He was a, he was a guide. And I said to the guy, I go, look at what are the chances if I go for this, that I make it to the top? And he goes, it's a hundred percent chance you will die. <laughs> so I said, you know, it makes perfect sense. Spun around, went down to Chamonix, climbed Mont Blanc, got that done. It's 15,000 feet plus, um, and so I was proud to to climb one of the highest mountains in, in you know, in Europe, certainly, and certainly in the Alps. And uh, but I want to go back and take on something I was not able to accomplish last year, which is the Matterhorn. Yeah, you also I, I saw on your Twitter that you were in Tanzania for a while. What was that experience like? Uh, you know, I've been there a couple of times now. I've climbed it a couple of times. And the last time I was there I was with Chris Long. And Chris mm -hmm. is just a world class guy. Right. And. That the, the cool story out of all this, and he's a guy, for those who don't know, played 10 years in the NFL, got a couple of Super Bowl rings at the end with uh, the Patriots and uh, Philly. And uh, he started this foundation all about going down to East Africa and building water wells for the people. Um, originally in Tanzania, and now it's grown out into further in other parts of, of East Africa. But the day that we actually climbed up there, this is one of the only places where this actually exists, but there's a gigantic sign up there. It says, you're at the top of the world in East Africa or Tanzania. It says Kilimanjaro. And we're just sitting there. I put my arm around him and I go, you know, there's not too many guys. As a matter of fact, I don't think there's any guy 
that can say that they played with Howie, his dad, <laughs> and actually climbed Kilimanjaro with Chris, right? <laughs> so we both had a good chuckle about that. And it's true, right? I mean, it's just such a rarity that those two combinations, those two things would happen. As everybody knows, we are talking to NFL receiver, ex-NFL receiver, Emmy Award winner searching for the summit, Mark Patterson. You know, Mark... I don't know anything about rock climbing, okay? I've never done it before. I'm an extreme guy. I do a lot of extreme things. I've jumped. I bungee jumped off of bridges. I've, I've jumped off of planes. I've done all that stuff. But, uh, you know, climbing mountains and putting myself in harm's way is not something that I think I could do. Tell us a little bit about the training. What is it like to train for something like this? Well, I, I think there's a number of things in there. You know, it, one is commitment and, again, love of the game. Um, you just had on the punter, and I'm sure he's got an extreme love of the game of going out every day and competing and trying to make his team a better team. That's what I used to do in the NFL, and I transitioned that same passion, that same drive towards climbing. Um, I think it's really important to note that a lot of times when people go right to a mountain like K2 or Mount Everest or one of these other really tall ones um, – you know, they're like, how could I ever do that? Well, you didn't go from Little League to the NFL one jump, right? There was this iteration and progression that happened, you know, from the time I was uh, eight, nine years old playing Little League football until I ultimately, you know, 23 years old, I got drafted by the Raiders. And, and so, and there's a lot of learning, there's a lot of growing, there's, you know, not just physically, but mentally in terms of, of, of attacking that and, and taking those different things on. Same thing in mountain climbing. You know, I mean, I can't imagine trying to take on Mount Everest if you never try to take it off and just don't take one gigantic leap. These big mountains I've been on, 17 people died on Mount Everest this year. Many of those people were just inexperienced. They hadn't been at altitude. They don't know what to do. You know, they don't know how to self-manage themselves. So they got mission critical, especially in the death zone, which is above 26,000 feet, and didn't know how to handle that and get off that mountain. And it's unfortunate, but too many people are taking shortcuts. You know, there's an old saying about there's no shortcuts to the top, right? Here you guys are on this radio show. And I'm sure that if I turn this whole thing around, sort of asking you about where did you start? Mm. And I don't know what your story is, but I know you didn't just get to where you are today by just, you know, saying, putting a sign out saying, I'm ready. You know, it took this, it took this you know, this art, no. this, this process, right, mm -hmm. for you to get where you are today. Oh, it's a huge process, and people don't realize. Everybody thinks. I remember. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story before we we get back to the interview. Yeah. My uncle is a computer genius. He's an engineer. He's built computer programs for many different companies. Made millions and millions of dollars for companies. Okay, and he told me one day he he was creating. Uh, what do they call that? Uh, you know, those crypto coins. He has. He, he created his own crypto coin, and he wanted to do a show. Speedy, you remember this? He wanted to do a show on the network, just talking about cryptos and stuff like that. He came on and he told me, "This is easy. I did this in high school. I did a radio show in high school." I said, "Okay, this is easy." Huh? So uh, we we put him over here, and I said, "Okay, for the next two hours, we're going to be your backup. Speedy's going to be your producer. I'm going to be your co-host." Go ahead. Give everybody, entertain people about cryptos for the next two hours, and you tell me how easy this is. I'll never forget. He was sitting here for the first 15 minutes. He was, uh, 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 uh. I said, are you, are you ready to move this along? And then all of a sudden, I came out here. I cracked a couple of jokes, knew nothing about cryptos, and started making jokes about this. I was looking at the numbers, and I was like, what the hell does this mean, you know, and all this other stuff. And... We went through two hours, and he sat there at the end of the show. I'm not lying to you, Mark. He says, okay, 
I say, Uncle, I don't know how you guys do a show for three hours, talk back and forth, and entertain yourselves and entertain people while you're doing it. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. That's what my uncle told me. And he respects it more now than he ever has because he actually saw how hard it really is. Well, I think there's a, you guys both have this. When you start interviewing, there's a skill behind that. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately, just like sales or anything else that you do in life, you know, it's really about listening. And those listening can take you. You may think you're going to talk about this, but then we end up talking about that, mm-hmm. right? Just because you've listened. And then, you know, the person kind of guides you along and that, you know, the power of curiosity. And that's what I think elevates conversations to make them super interesting and where you can go. And then also just be able to make it through three hours, right? Like, where are you going to go? Well, you don't know. But if you listen long enough, you're going to find out. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned Howie Long earlier. What was he like as a teammate on and off the field? You know, Howie's the same guy that he was back then. He was super humble, um, super hardworking, very intense, uh, but just a good dude, right? One of the boys. And, you know, I was able to reconnect with him indirectly with Chris when I was in Tanzania. Now, that was the, the, that was when Chris had been let go by the Patriots and he was freaking out where he was going to go. Jim Moore was with us too. So Jim had been in NFL locker rooms for 25 years. Mm -hmm. So he knew the process. He knew where Chris, you know, his, his space was going to be in terms of, you know, first tier, second tier, third tier. And he pretty much called that bank shot of the way it was going to play out. Chris was all stressed out. And at the end of the day, Jim was hundred percent right. He ended up with the Eagles ended up going to the Super Bowl, won another Super Bowl ring. And, you know, it all worked out for him. And I think the year after that, he may have retired. And, and the funny thing is, when he went to the Super Bowl with the Eagles, he knocked off the team that got rid of him. So there he goes. Yeah, he gave yeah. him the big F.U. at the end of it. Him, <laughs> him and LeGarrette Blunt did, did the same thing. They both left the Patriots, but went, both went to the Eagles and got their revenge. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just weird the way that, that, that works out. And, you know, there's nothing but, you know, love and respect, I think. Of course. Different teams. It was just circumstantial. And, and I think Chris could have continued to play if he wanted to, but... I mean, shoot, the guy, I think when he was drafted originally number one, something like that, you know, way back mm-hmm. 10 years earlier, you know, and somewhere in there, he got like a $100 million contract. So he's sitting back on, you know, do I really want to go through this? You know, I got plenty of money in the bank. And, and so, you know, he retires and life's good and he helps others through his foundation and He's got a pretty good thing going on. He's got a good father. Uh, he comes from a very good family. He has another brother that played in the NFL with the Chicago Bears. Kyle Long, yeah. Yeah, Kyle so uh, they, they're very well respected as, as a, a football family and, and what they have done on and off the field. So they're very – I've never met Chris, but long, long time ago, I would say about 10 or 11 years ago, uh, before I even started doing radio, I met Howie Long at an event out in the Hamptons. Uh, and he was very, very nice. Very, very nice guy. Him, him and Michael Strahan. I've I've met Michael Strahan more than a numerous amount of times. Michael is one of the kindest, coolest people you'll ever meet in a conversation with. So, And you can talk forever with Michael. He'll stand there. If you know what you're talking about, he will continue speaking to you. He has no problem. So. Uh-huh. You know what, let me tell you something that's really cool. So I played for a couple different teams, and I just happened to be drafted originally by the Raiders. The Raiders have the best Raider reunions and alumni association. And you can ask a lot of players who played for other teams and then ultimately ended up with the Raiders. And every year, every summer, Mark Davis invites all the former guy. It didn't matter if you played one game or 10 years. Um, they invite you out to, to Las Vegas. Um, it's going to be, unfortunately, I take off for Zermont uh, to climb the Matterhorn <laughs> roughly around the day that they're going to have this thing. But 
but I've been to two or three of them. You get yourself there. They put you up at the hotel. They wine, they dine, treat you like gold. And the beauty is, you know, I'm hanging out with Howie and Jim Plunkett and, you know, a few years ago, Cliff Branch before he passed away and Marcus Allen comes out and, and Lester Hayes and Rod Martin, you know, all these old famous faces. And they don't give a rat's ass whether or not you played a year or, you know, everybody's equal. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it really cool, you know. And you're just talking to guys like guys and, and it's just we're in this club. We're very fortunate. And, I, you know, I just I'm so grateful to the Raiders that they continue to to bring me around and treat me way, 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 way better than I, what I probably <laughs> deserve, you know, based on merit. Yeah, we've had uh, ex Raider safety Stuart Schweigert on our show twice as well. He raves about a lot of those older guys too. He, he, Mainly Chris Cliff Branch, like you were saying, yeah, but also yeah. a lot of those other linebackers and safety. He too. loves coming on this show. He really enjoys it. And and the one thing about Stu is he has a lot to say. Oh, yeah. He has <laughs> a lot to say. So uh, I sit here when, when we're interviewing Stuart, and Stuart knows. He's, he tells us at the end of the interview, he's like, did I talk too much? <laughs> no, no. The last time we had him on was because he played for Purdue, and that was right after they got knocked out by Fairleigh Dickinson in the tournament. They were the second sixteen or oh, second one seed yeah. ever to lose to a 16 seed. So we had uh, one of our callers call in, and he was taking shots at Purdue. And then he literally, after that, we had him on the show as a guest, he, had, he actually came back into the feed just to argue with the caller. Oh, did he ever? And he <laughs> just... Awesome went crazy it was so funny <laughs> like that's how that's how much he wants to talk but he's got he's got a lot to say with that and i'm sure i don't know if you've encountered him in any of those alumni things but no, he, I, i'm not sure you know it's 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 got to a point um where i think i've been they've probably had five of them and i was in the kind of a couple of the originals and then just timing has not been there you know i think both years i was i just had conflicts i was doing speaking gigs or something or in this year you know going to zermont but, you know, it's just super fun to be there and be around the guys and for just, you know, 48 hours, kind of immerse yourself back into what life used to be like 30, 40 years ago. And then, of course, you quickly pop out of it. But, you know, it's just it's cool. And it's it's, you know, wherever you go, it doesn't matter who you are, whenever you're invited and you feel wanted into a special place in an organization like the Raiders, you know, it's just a really cool thing to be a part of. So I wanted to ask, I don't know if I asked you this the last time, but uh, the best memory of John Madden as a person and as a coach. I didn't know him. You know, I didn't I didn't play with him. I, I played oh, okay. with Tom Flores, and, you know, I could give you plenty of things on him or Al Davis, but, um, you know, nothing but fond memories. I've, I've met um, when actually I'd been traded to the Saints my third year, and so I was down there, and uh, we were playing a Monday Night Football. And as you guys remember, they, they used to have the Madden bus, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. He would not fly because he was freaked out about that. And so they pulled this big thing up. And of course, those were the days, I think he was on CBS with Pat Summerall and they, you know, his bus was very well documented. They do interviews in there and all kinds of stuff. And so they had parked that thing outside of our, our facility. And I went and I pounded on the door and the, the bus guy that, you know, his main driver opened. I went in there, he gave me a full tour and John, I don't know where he was after lunch or something, but in the uh, bathroom, he, he could have been in the bathroom, but I just sat there, you know, and just hung out and just absorbed it. And, and you know, the amount of stories, you know, that I'm sitting here talking with the driver. I mean, he's really, he's the window of all these superstars that come, you know, into their, their bus or used to come into their bus. I had another completely different. I just want to bring this up since we're on this thread. Um, years ago, I was in green Bay. And when you walk onto the field, um, down there, the right edge before you go out, there's a 
there's a room that has you know the lawnmower and mm-hmm. it's where the, the the head groundskeeper this head groundskeeper had been there 50 years wow and he it, like literally this guy was a beauty of a dude he went back to like bart star days mm-hmm. and he just said well, i just sat there listened to him and he was going on and on about the lore and all you know vince lombardi bart star and he just felt so appreciative to be standing on this hollow ground and and the sacred ground of something that has become such a magical place to play seeing all the brett Favre drama you know mm-hmm. i mean it was just really cool so every once in a while you get to be around people like that there are gateways to you know what they have seen in life and it's pretty interesting pretty cool we are talking to former NFL receiver and Emmy Award winner and for searching for the summit, Mark Patterson. You know, Mark, there obviously you're a former NFL player. You're an Emmy Award winner. But now what you've been doing over the last couple of years is working for Sports Illustrated. As a matter of fact, you're an executive over there. Uh, tell us a little bit about the growth of Sports Illustrated. There was a lot of transition with radio, and obviously yeah. the swimsuit edition is one of my favorites, by the way. It's uh, fantastic. You know, I, Every year I, I go out. Uh, I try not to buy the magazine. I know I'm trying to be cheap here, but I'm just kidding. I actually buy all the magazines. I hide it under my bed. <laughs> Just kidding. Mark, I'm not selling anything here, but uh, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your work over there well, at Sports Illustrated. You know, really so, so kind of the bigger picture is I helped start this technology company, and, and, and that company three and a half years ago, we had an opportunity to take over Sports Illustrated, which we did. And, and so when we did that, it, Sports Illustrated was more or less a sinking ship, and it wasn't too much different from all the other magazines and, and other newspapers that we've all seen blow up and it blew up for a number of different reasons. It was blowing up for a number of different reasons. And so I had come in and I said, look, I want to start a new vertical of a collection of team sites on the SI domain. So we have a Cowboys and Broncos, you know, we have the NFL college football, power five, uh, NBA, major league baseball, all these companies blowing up. And I said, why don't we do everything exactly opposite? And I'll give you this in a nutshell. Today, what's happened over the last 10 years plus is that cell phones have kind of redefined the way that we consume content, right? Mm-hmm. And every 10 seconds right now, this conversation that we're having, you know, we're engaged right now, but you'll get off and you'll have all kinds of notifications from Facebook and texts from friends mm-hmm. or, or whatever, right? And so... That has driven this whole thing where we just want quick hits and they come through because they come through on their phone and our attention span is very limited. The old school way of doing this was these columnists writing 2,500 words twice a week, right? And there was just no return on investment by doing that. So we said, what would we do if we started this this collection of team sites and feed people what they want based on what Mm. you're passionate? I went to the University of Washington. Right. So I don't give a rat's ass about USC and all these other teams. And what Sports Illustrated have been doing for years is just writing about the state of Major League Baseball. And so I said, let's hone in exactly. That's number one. Number two is I said, let's just do quick hits, 250 to 500 words. We unlock the magic keys with Google. Okay. And then number three is let's put a one to three minute video. And so let's feed them exactly what they're already getting on their phones and all these notifications. And we have just blown that thing up. We were ranked. So in the world of, of television, we've all heard of this thing called Nielsen. Right? Of course, I don't yes. know how in the hell mm-hmm. people measure people watching television, but they do. Mm-hmm. And in the internet world, it's called ComScore. It's the exact same thing. Sports Illustrated was number 17. We said, we're going to do everything opposite. We got, you know, it was like eternal war. 
But at the end of the day, we went out. Now we're sitting at number four. Number one is ESPN. You got CBS up there, Yahoo, and then it's us. And we were, SI was well, well on their way to, to becoming completely irrelevant. And we have come back and made the company relevant again. And I do believe that we will be number one, you know, within the next couple of years based on our growth strategy. Well, and it's all because of you, man. I, well, I, it's just, I'll tell you what, it's it's a lot of... I'm just uh, missing. I, no, 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 no. But, but it, I mean, I, 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 it was my vision to mm-hmm. do this. Of course. So I'll take credit for that. But, you know, every once in a while, you have to think different. And I think that is what the whole point of what I'm trying to say. I'm not brilliant. I would just, I was just took a step back and like, rather than everybody do the exact same thing, which everybody was doing for 50 years, I said, why can't we just look at things and do things different? Otherwise we're going to be like everybody else. And by the way, SI was already sinking. And so I just said, let's just do everything. Now, you know, today we look brilliant at the time as a risk because we didn't know if it was going to work. Right. But it turned out, you know, and we, we do, you know, uh, We've got huge visibility now, you know, worldwide. You should pat yourself in the back. First of all, Mark, just so you know, there are a lot of hip-hop artists and a lot of singers that said most of their best music comes from five minutes making it. So for you to come up with an idea just off the head saying, you know, let's do all the opposite things that everybody else is doing, that's a genius move. That's a, that's a, obviously you're, you're taking a chance and you put yourself in at risk, but you have to take risks if you want to succeed. That's in any kind of business. That had a lot to do with you. So you should be, here, I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to pat you on the back. There's this book called, I read years ago, and it really, you know, like when you start, you know, we were talking about before the power of curiosity. And I, I, and I think this really plays into if you are a person who are naturally curious about why things work, then you will be driven to ask questions on if something is not working, like ask the questions like how would they, could they potentially work? And there's this book called Good to Great. OK. Mm-hmm. And it was this 10 year study from this guy out of Stanford that looked at all these different companies, companies like Apple that were dead on arrival. You know, they, they they're phenomenal now, but there was a period in time when they were dead. Right. And that and then and the founder came back in and, you know, redid everything. There's other examples like that. And there's also examples like CompUSA that was, you know, 20 years ago where the king of selling computer products, and all this kind of stuff. They didn't evolve with the times. There's Blockbuster. Right. Mm-hmm. They didn't evolve with they had they were at a corner on the market of, you know, that's the only place we go and get our cassettes. Right. Hey, what are you doing tonight? We're going to the Blockbuster. Right. And get your <laughs> DVD or whatever. Right. And that's what we used to do, but they didn't evolve it into a streaming service. And, and so you see this, you know, right now, uh, Uber, right? Mm-hmm. The idea is a taxi, but now like, well, how can we make this a better experience? And so it, it's that whole thing about asking the question of like being curious and, and, and then being brave enough to step up and roll the dice and see where that goes. And I think that can get you a lot of places. So the last time we had you on the show, you were talking about some of the other quests that you had with the with the climbing. You mentioned Mont Blanc before, but also you said Jackson Hole, Wyoming was another big one. And you also, you being from Idaho, you had a couple spots there. What were those experiences like? Well, uh, down in uh, Jackson Hole, you've got the Grand Teton. And again, it's a big, gigantic, the Teton Range is insane. Just for, if you're sitting there having a cup of coffee, looking up at it, let alone to like actually climb up this thing. And I wanted to do that because it was going to be my first experience really climbing hardcore straight up you know there's one section called the chimney so you can imagine a chimney you're going straight up with 3,000 feet straight down um and then you know jumping off blindly um this cliff you know 100 yards down one two three jump and just hoping that you know the rope's going to work and all that kind of stuff 
Um, but it, you know, it's insane. It was tiring. Um, it was fatiguing, but you know, it was amazing here in Sun Valley, Idaho. One of the reasons going back to a question you asked earlier about, you know, how have I been able to do this? I wanted to move to, to 6,000 feet. I was at sea level in, in Manhattan beach. It was just like, if I'm going to go all, all in, I'm going to go all in. I want to move to a place that probably saved my life Mount Everest when, you know, I had been on the top, my Sherpa left me, I ran out of oxygen, I was snow blind, and I was asking myself, how in the hell am I getting up this mountain? And and trying to figure that all out. And I think because, you know, I I, I, I've, I live in altitude, I climb to 10,000, 12,000 feet almost every day. It helped me survive through those moments, unlike a lot of those guys this year, part of those 17 that we talked about earlier, that passed away because, you know, they just didn't have the experience and they hadn't, you know, immersed themselves in the mountain culture enough to really learn what to do when things go south. We are talking about former NFL receiver and Emmy Award winning for searching for the summit, Mark Pattison. Last question for us, and it, it's so interesting because I want to know what you thought about this whole Titan sub implosion. Uh, obviously, there were stories coming out over a couple of weeks ago that this submarine disappeared on a Sunday, and they were trying to find it for the for for twenty four to forty eight hours. Couldn't find it, and then they find out, you know, after investigating it, that it, it imploded and uh, completely was gone by, you know, 2,000, 3,000 feet. What were your thoughts to that? Would you have been one of those guys, if you had the money, would you have been one of the crazy guys to try something as ridiculous as that when it wasn't even tested? Yeah. Um, it, you know, that, that, that actually gets pretty interesting. I'm originally from Seattle, mm-hmm. right? Went to the University of Washington, which is based in Seattle. And Stockton is the guy who's the inventor of the company. One of my best friends was an event, uh, was an investor in his company. Mm-hmm. You know, so he was based out of Seattle. And so he'd actually been in version one. This was version five. Right. Right. And so he had gone down on, in the Puget Sound, which is our body of water right around Seattle there. He had gone and they'd, you know, I don't know, a thousand feet down or something and look at a shipwreck. And he was just like, after 20, this is my buddy Rick telling me about this. He was like, look, dude, after 15 minutes, I'm done. <laughs> like, cause you go down hundred feet and it's pitch black, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you might see like a squid or something come by your window, but there's only, it's a, it's a, you know, you're in this cylinder and there's only one window and that's the front and that's it. It's pitch black. And, you know, obviously the thing wasn't tested enough and who knows exactly what happened. But as soon as there was a leak, like you said, the whole thing imploded. Would I have gone down? No, I, I don't like to be in small confined spaces. Um, you know, I've, I've worked out a number of times with Laird Hamilton, big wave surfer, pretty famous brand. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think he was the first guy to do a, a hundred foot wave. And, you know, I was at his house working out with Jim Morgan and, and Laird and Gabby. And, you know, his whole thing is about trying to get underwater and hold your breath. But you're talking about a whole different level because you're talking about falling off a hundred foot wave, which I can't even imagine. But now you're being pushed down underwater. So now it's just about holding your breath. You're not exploding because you're, you know, 5,000 feet underneath. Mm. I can't imagine that. I like to go up, you know, Laird likes to, relatively speaking, go down, but that's just a whole different level. But I think just like the, 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 the general concept, because where, where, where we went with this whole thing, and you see the, the James Cameron um, who did Titanic, he's, they're trying to get in this exploration because like 75% of the oceans have not even been explored yet. Mm-hmm. So like mining and other things. And I think that's where he was trying to go with that company. Interesting. It's very yeah. interesting. Mark, keep up the good work. We will definitely 
be reaching out to you again a lot sooner than later. Uh, you're a great interview. You give us so much information. And look, you're all over the place, man. You know this guy. You know that guy. You just gave us some new information for that imploded submarine, that Titan yeah. sub. So there you go. You know, I have a, there's a, another company that wants to do a film. Um, I've got a book in the works. Mm. Um, I'm talking, I'm, I'm hooked up some some guys from SEAL Team 6 about jumping out of planes um, and uh, in Moab and, and Class 5 Rapids down, some pretty crazy stuff that we're talking about doing together. So, you know, let's get on within the next year. I can give you a recap on the Matterhorn and uh, maybe you, know, you can, can get after it. You can, uh, you know, bring us in as, you know, uh, actors in that movie, you know? I don't know. You, know, you two would be, yeah, you guys would be the clowns <laughs> on the side of the street. <laughs> we'll see if, we'll see if next time we have the art, we actually get Jim Moore to show up, too. <laughs> All right. Mark, thank you, man. All right. Hey, you guys are awesome. I so appreciate being thank on you. the show. And I'm available anytime you want me to come on. You're time. awesome. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Okay, buddy. Take care. Mark Patterson, he's fantastic. Great interview. Gave us some great information. And listen, if you if you need any information about the Titan sub in any kind of way, if he has the information, just reach out to Mark. He'll give you all his information. Find him on Twitter, and he will help you out in any kind of way. If you have any questions about the, the Titan submarine, for what his friend knows, his partner knows, over there in Seattle. So there you go. Wow, what a great interview. I, I'll tell you this, Speedy. We've had two really good interviews today. Uh, yes. Drew was fantastic. Mark is always fantastic. And, uh, you know, Mark, if, if you don't know who Mark Patterson is, well, shame on you. And uh, you heard it. He was the, the new transition designer of Sports Illustrated. He's the one that transitioned it back out of, like, death. <laughs> I mean... I, I mean, and it looks like it's saved from the bottom of the ocean where the Titanic sunk. Hey, look, Robin Lundberg, he's working for yep. Sports Illustrated. I could have mentioned his name. We've interviewed Robin. Uh, I mean, he's brought some people on to his uh, wonderful, you know, networks over there at Sports Illustrated. You know, and we've like, had a couple of Fan Nation guys as well, which is now affiliated with Sports Illustrated. That's a lot of their team companies. Like you know, we, we, we should talk to Mark. We should be affiliated with Sports Illustrated. Am I wrong? Am I wrong here? I mean, seriously. I mean, we, we love Mark, and he's a fantastic interview. But, Mark, you've been on our show twice. You love us. Let's go, baby. Let's go. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, if he wants to. I'm not kidding about that, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, Snug, I know you're trying to get Anchorage Van to come on. I've been messaging him, and he hasn't been responding. So, <laughs> A new report from, Was from the Washington Post says that the commander's deal – to Josh Harris could be delayed due to legal issues with Dan Schneider connected to John Gruden's email scandal. Gruden's email revealed discrimination of language, which forced him to resign from the Raiders head coaching position in 2021. Gruden filed a lawsuit against the NFL that the emails were used to damage his career. Gruden also believes that the information in these emails will incriminate everyone else in the league, including Dan Schneider, former Washington GM Bruce Allen, NFLPA's executive director, Maurice Smith, and Roger Goodell. Gruden also mentioned that he found it odd that only his emails were singled out by the NFL when there were millions of others sent in other 
in order to show Schneider's criminal behavior. A leaked source with personal ties of Gruden says that he is going to take this lawsuit all the way. The sources also say that John doesn't care about the money, but cares about bringing down everybody involved in this scandal. Josh Harris had previously previously bought the commanders from Schneider for $6.05 billion. Let me say something. And, and this, is, this is coming from a John Gruden guy. I love John Gruden. I followed John Gruden for years. I, I, I loved his quarterback school where he interviewed so many college quarterbacks. And he, he had all these NFL, ex-NFL quarterbacks come to his camps and teach these kids how to play the quarterback position as they move from NCAA college game to the NFL professional game. The fact that John Gruden doesn't have a job with the Raiders is despicable. It really is. None of these emails should have came out. None of them. That doesn't mean that John Gruden wasn't wrong. That doesn't mean that John Gruden isn't racist. It doesn't mean that John Gruden is a nice guy. Why was his emails, out of all the emails that were sent out... From this, I don't know what you call it, all right, Uh, this despicable thing that happened in Washington. Why was his emails revealed out of everybody else's? There has to be a reason. Does Roger Goodell have anything to do with it? I think so. Does Dan Schneider have something to do with it? I do think so. I think it's a lot more than something with Dan Schneider. (laughs) And GM Bruce Allen. Another backstabbing you-know-what. Does he have something to do with this? Absolutely. If I was John Gruden, I'm sorry. It, It has everything to do with the money. John Gruden will probably never get a college job again. John Gruden will probably probably never get a professional job again. He'll probably never be an analyst for another organization again. His career is over, all because of these emails. If you look at what the Raiders were doing when he was there, he was really taking them to that next level. Everything was changing for the Raiders. Derek Carr, even though him and Derek Carr weren't getting along, Derek Carr was playing his best football. And then this happens. And you see the difference. And I I don't want to hear it. I know his brother coached the team. I know his brother had... Some licks and nicks and crannies and whatever happened over there with the Washington Commanders. It is embarrassing what John Gruden had to deal with. And again, you also look at comparing to these other issues too. Yes, John Gruden is was definitely wrong for what he does. And I, again, you're right. He's not going to get another job based on that Never. Kind of behavior. Never. But at the same time, you also look at the cases of these other letters that were being filed for so many just criminal misconducts that Dan Snyder did at just these workplaces with Washington, all these different employees that were just victimized by these actions. And it's just not a good look for him to be able to get $6.05 billion just from a sale for Josh Harris. And I think that's what Gruden's point is more like. John Gruden did not get a buyout from the Raiders when he had to resign from his position. No. He lost everything. He lost everything. And yet Dan Snyder, who's done a lot worse than what Gruden did, 
is going to get $6.05 billion. Yes, he's going to lose his stake in the team, whatever. He's still getting all that money back, and so is his wife, and he's going to get all that. Roger Goodell's getting all of these benefits, too. I don't know about the GM, because, again, he was not a good GM anyway, and he lost his position quickly. He might not get any money, but still, he's going to go drag them down as much as possible, even if it means not getting any money, and even if it means not he's, getting another job. He's getting money, okay? He is definitely going to bargain or whatever, He's going to get a lot of money for, from this, obviously, lawsuit. And, and I will say this. I don't care what John Gruden says. It's not about the money. It's absolutely about the money. If I was John Gruden, I would say it's absolutely about the money. And here's the reason why. My career is done. I'm probably never going to do anything in the college and professional rankings ever again. I'm never going to be an analyst on ESPN, CBS, Yahoo, or any of the Amazon, any of the big organizations anymore because everybody thinks I'm a racist. So his career is done. So instead of you know working anymore or worrying about that, even though he's got a ton of money, John Gruden made his millions. Right. But – just to give it and stick it right up where the sun the sun doesn't shine over there uh, with the Oakland Raiders and and the Washington Commanders. Hey, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to drive it so far up their ass. And again, you also look at we talk about behaviors being done that again we were talking about it with domestic violence. We've been talking about it with all Kyrie Irving's nonsense, all his discriminatory behavior. Oh, and, please don't bring him. And up. again, John Gruden had that kind of behavior in his, in his letters that we know of racist, sexist, all that stuff. But we've seen him be at least trying to change and be how an advocate his, for that. How did his wife stay with him this long? Dan Schneider was doing all these disgusting. Uh, deliberate things on and off the field in his own stadium. He was doing to his cheerleaders and, and different people that were working for him. How did this guy get away for all these years? Yeah, and again, we've seen not him evolve from that behavior either. Dan Snyder still kept doing it and doing it for 10 years at least that we know of. And, there's and gonna stealing be a lot, too. Right, and there's going to be a lot more that are probably going to be found out once the NFL gets in through. Because remember, it was 650,000. They know emails. already. And there's millions more that were filed by other people. And that's the other point that Gruden was trying to make. Like a lot of these people still, if they didn't lose their jobs already, there's some of them that are still in the league that probably had these complaints with, with Dan Snyder too. Even if they weren't Washington Commanders employees either. This behavior was still being known by other team employees too, visiting teams, teams that were maybe even employees that were in the Washington area that might have encountered what was going on with him from mutual connections. There's always going to be that. And yet, again, I think John Gruden's case is why am I being singled out? And I think he's going to risk, obviously, his reputation might have already been lost because of what he did, but he's going to bring these other guys down with him. And again, he has a right to do that because he seems singled out. Why is Roger Goodell get rewarded? Why does Dan Snyder get Because rewarded? he's the commissioner and he is the one negotiating deals with all these big organizations uh, from Dorito to Nachos to uh, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, and Budweiser. I mean, everybody wants to give Roger Goodell all the credit in the world because he's renegotiating these deals and they're making billions and billions of dollars off these endorsements. But in the end, the product is the product. The player is the player. And right. it's all about the players. And, and honestly, the one thing I can respect about the NFL players is they don't think that they're bigger than the league like the NBA does. That's what I like about the NFL is these players know that the league is what really gives them their stake in their money and, and obviously the guarantee money that they get. They get. 
And with the NBA, it's all guaranteed no matter what they do. And they think that they own the league even more than the owners. And that's what's so interesting about the NFL. And I, I have to give the NFL a little bit of credit is because it's, it, it, to me, the way they run this league is they, the commissioner goes to the owners and the owners run this league. No matter what happens, even when they, the strike happened in, what, 85, 86 when it was going on. And they brought in all these, what did they call them? These, uh, these re-up players or whatever they call them. Um, it didn't work, but a lot of these... A lot of the NFL players decided to play, decided to not sit out as long as a lot of the other players did because they needed to pay and they needed to make sure that their families had money and food to eat. So uh, it's a different league now, but I, I like what the NFL has done in a professional kind of way. I just I question some of the things Roger Goodell has done, especially with this whole Schneider thing. This is this is a disgrace, an absolute disgrace that the NFL should be smacked around. And honestly, I think Roger Goodell should lose his job. Ryan Dunleavy of the New York Post reported the best offer the Giants made for Saquon Barkley was $19.5 million guaranteed. Saquon is set to make around $10 million on this year's franchise tag. And if he is franchised a second time, it would add up to $22.2 million guaranteed money in the next two years. Reports mention that Saquon would sit out of training camp and possibly Longer than that if he doesn't get a long-term deal. Saquon recently added Ed Perry of Creative Artists Agency to his management staff, along with Kim Miley of The Rock Nation. Uh, the Giants' most recent offer to Saquon was $13 million per year. The amount of years was undisclosed. The Giants have a $4.1 million in cap space after giving Daniel Jones and Dexter Lawrence big contracts this offseason. So then they would have to renegotiate a deal or drop a player if they would to give they would give Saquon Barkley that long term extension. Uh, so Leonard Williams, we're looking at you. Well, I, I know Leonard Williams is an ex Jet. I know a lot of Giant fans are not too fond of him. They didn't think that he had so much of a year to really brag about this past year, but the year before that he did pretty well. And that's why they extended him. I just that was the problem about Leonard Williams when he played for the Jets. He had one or two good seasons and then he disappeared. Muhammad um, Wilkerson, he got a big, huge contract from the Jets when he had that 13 sack season and he was a Pro Bowl player. And then what happens? He disappears. He breaks his, I forget, fibula, and uh, he was never the same. He goes to the Green Bay Packers and then he's probably, uh, you know, he's mopping floors over there at uh, Connecticut School District. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, it, it just it's it's it, it's crazy and 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 like you heard Drew say you're you're here today and gone tomorrow that's what happens with the NFL it, it, there's no guarantees no matter who you are Patrick Mahomes Aaron Rodgers that eventually the organization or the league decides to part ways with you they don't care who you are and what you did for the game so it, it is crazy and I, I feel bad for Saquon I really do. And the reason why is, is because I believe Saquon Barkley has everything to do with that Giants offense. He is everything to that Giants offense. Everybody keeps talking about Darren Waller. You don't know how he's going to fit. You don't know how it's going to fit throughout certain significant, you know, uh, 
obviously run patterns that they have run over the last couple of years under Dable's offense. And and now you add a Darren Waller, you're giving him another weapon. You're giving Daniel Jones another weapon, but a, a guy that hasn't stayed healthy for two years, it doesn't really make any sense. And I, I again, if I was Saquon Barkley, I would think this is a smack in the face. I, I do. And, and being that you have been all for the Giants since you was drafted by him, and I thought you were pretty high, highly picked uh, at you know, number two by the Giants. I don't think you should have been drafted there, but nevertheless, the two out of the four years that you played, you've been an elite running back and you've been everything that the Giants wanted you to be. So uh, the fact that the numbers that you put up last year, you average about 77% of the snaps uh, offensively for the New York Giants and did everything but really play quarterback for the New York Giants, which tells me having a season like that, you should get the money. You should get the guaranteed money and a lot more than $19.5 million. Yeah, 19.5 is really disrespectful. That tells me one of two things. Either that offer was old from maybe last year and that was your initial offer and never improved on it because Joe Shane even mentioned in November last year that Dexter Lawrence was the first priority and I think Daniel Jones was the second priority and they were going to get that done first or – you're going you were they were only going to give him a 3 year deal and maybe all right if you wanted to make the money work for 13 million a year then you're looking at a 36 million with only 19 of it guaranteed that's only 50 per, like that's a little over 50%. So if you wanted to give him a 3 year deal then only more than half the money being guaranteed is not something any of these NFL players are going to want. We were talking about it earlier with Quinton Williams. He had $96 million on his contract. $66 million of that is guaranteed. That's pretty much two-thirds. That's a, that's a good mark. You should get 75% of it, of it guaranteed. I mean, we look at these other leagues that are fully guaranteed or almost fully guaranteed that they still get, and that kind of deal is either three years and only half of it's guaranteed or two years. Like, why are you giving me a two year deal? No, no guy's going to want a two year deal. You might as well just play on the franchise. I think it's completely disrespectful. Yeah. And I really do. 13 million a year. Okay. Yeah. He might get that on that market. That might be his market value. Fine. 19 and a half million guaranteed is just inexcusable. Like no player is going to want that. And here's another thing. Saquon Barkley wants Christian McCaffrey money. Is he as good as Christian McCaffrey? I would say so. Uh, If you look at Christian McCaffrey's numbers, uh, last year, and you look at Saquon Barkley's numbers, who do you think had a better season? And I, I would look at a guy like Saquon Barkley. Christian McCaffrey was traded in the middle of the season last year. Saquon Barkley was everything to the New York Giants. And the Giants, at one point, uh, at a time, he they he was everything in the second half. The, the, what was it? From the Green Bay Packers game on, for I think for the three consecutive games, Saquon Barkley had over 100 yards, and he had over he had one or two touchdowns in those games. Yeah, until he, Seattle. Yes. Game. He was everything to the Giants offense. I think he was disrespected by the New York Giants. I think he's being disrespected by the New York Giants. And when you give Daniel Jones a contract like that, and I like Daniel Jones. I've always rooted for Daniel Jones when he was drafted by Duke. And I, I did think he was going to turn into a top 10 quarterback in this league if he had the right coach, which he did. But to give Daniel Jones an extension like you did, $40 million, when a lot of people believe you were probably going to waive him, or not, and obviously you didn't give him his fifth-year option, that tells you that they didn't believe in Daniel Jones. And now all of a sudden, because of one year under Dable, you believe in him? And for, for all those analysts out here in New York that are trying to compare Aaron Rodgers' season to Daniel Jones, stop. Please stop it. It is terrible to argue a guy like Aaron Rodgers who had a terrible season last year, but here's a terrible season. 27 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. Is that really that bad? Honestly. Who had a broken thumb on his throwing hand? Does anybody think that was bad? Because 
I, I don't I, rem, I don't even remember a Jet quarterback throwing that. <laughs> I honestly don't remember the last either. So uh, and I don't want to hear about you know a quarterback that was there for one year with Brandon you know Brandon Marshall or Eric Decker, okay, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, all right. I don't want to hear that. That might have been the last one for all we know at this. Week, I don't cause... think he threw twenty seven touchdowns, did he? Uh, I thought he, I thought he might have, but again, even so, like I don't was, think he did. <laughs> like that was really the next one that was like even close to that if he did. But either way, like you're losing that kind of reputation anyway with. with the Giants and Joe Shane, if you do it this way too. And, and Joe Shane's done some good things as a general manager too. Like I think his draft this year was very good. I think last year, he, a lot of his day three picks in the draft did make good impacts for the Giants. But at the same time, you, you don't want to lose and 31 your, touchdowns. 31, okay. no, I, that, I, I didn't even know he had 31. Right. I thought it was between 26 and 27. I was, th- I was, I was going to guess 29 if I were to guess, but mm. yeah. Okay. Either way, like that was probably the one, last one that was kind of close to it. But even so like, yeah, Daniel Jones did not have the year of that kind kind of volume to have that kind of level even close to that. Like the rushing touchdowns, yeah, he had a lot of those last year. I think he had eight. And his passing volume numbers were inefficiency-wise in comparison were better than his years in the past, but it wasn't still an overall great volume sample. I saw a stat as well. The Giants were last in explosive plays last year. Mm -hmm. Like that has to do a lot with uh, the quarterback play. They didn't have a lot of deep threats. They didn't have a lot of chance to throw the ball deep. The big, big reason they had to draft Jalen Hyatt this year, they really don't have a receiver that could stretch the field like that. And hopefully he can become that, but he's smaller too. So it's going to be a lot harder. And even so, when you look at, the Giants where they're set up right now. Saquon Barkley not being able to be a part of that offense too. You don't really have another plan B to get something good with that in another way. And that's where Joe Shane really botched this. And I also think too, he might lose a lot of reputation if he's only giving half your contract being guaranteed. Former NFL GM Scott Pioli believes that Delvin Cook will take his time in finding a new team because he is getting $2 million guaranteed by the Vikings regardless if he plays this year or not. New reports say that the Vikings have offered Cook a deal of $7 million per year to return to Minnesota. ESPN Jeff Darlington reports that the Dolphins are still the favorites to get Cook. However, Cook turned down the Dolphins' initial offer. Track projects Cook to get $8.7 million per year and says his deal will most likely be two years. Cook's deal is likely to come when training camp starts for all teams, which will be... In the last week of July. So, uh, and I'm looking forward to the last week of July because we have Spence, the Spence fight, which I'm looking forward to. It's it's going to be a great fight. And obviously OTAs, hard knocks, there's so much getting going to be involved in the next couple of weeks. It, it just, this is the worst time for sports right now. It is. So we're trying to find stories and we're trying to argue stories because they're really are not as many stories as you would think, uh, not only in the NFL, but the NHL, the NBA, and the MLB. And even the MLB right now, it's, it's a, you know, there's a week off before uh, the second half of the season. And then we're going to be talking about the trade deadline. And we don't even know what's going to happen after the trade deadline because they have the waiver wire. So they, they, they try to change the way baseball was you know, doing the trade deadline because they moved it closer to the All-Star break. But now they have the waiver wire, so it's like the trade deadline. You could still trade with somebody at the end of the season, so it doesn't make any sense. But to get back to the Dalvin Cook thing, I think Dalvin Cook is going to sign either with the Broncos, this is what I think, or the Dolphins. That's where I think he's going. Uh, The reason why with the Broncos is because we don't know if Williams is going to start the season. He's coming off an ACL tear. He did play, what, the first 
I think it was the four. F- first four games of the season before he tore, he's, he teared his ACL, and I think it was his MCL as well. He is going to probably need at least two or three weeks before the season uh, starts, uh, while the season is going on, to still heal and try to get back into NFL shape. So Dalvin Cook would make a lot of sense because Dalvin Cook would fit a Sean Payton offense. He's an Alvin Kamara type of prototype running back who could catch the ball in the backfield and do all the other things that you would need him to do before Williams comes back. And and you have a dual threat for Russell Wilson when he comes back because Russell likes to run. And then you have two really good, really powerful backs that can do so many different things and have so many strengths from their from very little weaknesses they have at the running back position. And also you look at Sean Payton's history with the Saints too. We've always seen him have two three-man backfields that work very well a lot of the time. Their Super Bowl team, it was a three-headed monster. Reggie Bush, Deuce McAllister, later in his career granted, but still was good, and Pierre Thomas. And then in his transition to Mark Ingram and Pierre Thomas, Chris Ivory was mixed in between there too. And then Kamara was with Ingram too as probably the best running back duo in that 2017 season. So it wouldn't surprise me if they try to go with that approach. They've already signed Samaj P. Ryan. They get Javante Williams back. We'll see how he comes back. You're right, ACL, MCL tear. It works differently with every every running back like we were talking about last week with Paul Eston. You don't know how the recovery is going to be. Not everyone's going to be 2012 Adrian Peterson and have that MVP caliber year he had where he essentially carried that entire Vikings offense. I also believe with Dalvin Cook, it's going to he's going to make this a process. He wants to get the most money out of the next two or three years. He wants to get an extension, and he wants to probably go wherever Hopkins is going. So if Hopkins decides to go to the Patriots, maybe the Patriots still have a chance for him. I don't see why it would fit over there in New England. I think Hopkins would fit over there. I can't see Dalvin Cook. I could see why Miami wants him there. I think Miami could use him in so many different ways in their offense, especially what they like to run with McDaniels. And also, uh, the fact that I know what the Jets are trying to do. I know why the Jets are interested in Dalvin Cook. It has nothing to do with Dalvin Cook fitting in this offense. I think the fact is they're trying to keep him away from Buffalo, trying to keep him away from Miami, New England. They don't want to see Dalvin Cook twice this year, and they would rather him on their roster and starting the season on their roster and then bringing in a guy like Brees Hall and all the other guys that they have in case of an emergency you have other guys like Bam and Mike, Car- you know Mike, uh, you know Michael Carter, and all the other different talent that they have on the bench. So there's a lot of depth there. I, I just think I, I think it's outrageous to think that the Jets are going to squeeze Dalvin Cook into this roster, and it'll make sense. I just don't see it. And C- Cook and Hopkins are both in similar circumstances because they all have different options of what they could try to leverage for. The, Dalvin Cook might take a one-year deal that's a little more money to prove himself, and then try to get another option two-year. Th- uh, three-year deal later, and that'll be his final contract because we talk about all the time the longevity of these running backs aren't as ideal as you want to be. And now we're seeing it with Saquon Barkley, we're seeing it with Josh Jacobs. These don't want to pay; they don't want to pay him this quickly right away. These four or five-year contracts. So same kind of thing with DeAndre Hopkins. He might think of all right, I'm going to go to a place I can get targeted a lot for a one-year deal, and then get another two, three-year deal to end my career. Or could they both go ring chasing? We look at Dalvin Cook. All the teams that he's listed so far, probably besides the Bears, all have Super Bowl aspirations this year. Every team in the AFC East obviously is going to be great. The Broncos with Sean Payton, again, they're probably not thought of in that same realm, but who knows? Maybe that one-year transformation of a coach, we've seen it happen before. Or you could go to a place that's going to have a lot of volume, which in this case could be my 
Miami too, or it could be a team like the it's Bears. It's going to be Miami. I don't think he's going to the Bears. The Bears don't need him after what they did in the offseason. They adding the running backs that they added. I don't think it's the Bears, and I don't think it's New England. I could see Buffalo or the Dolphins and maybe Denver because Denver is not going to have Williams in the first two or three games of the season. And Sean Payton loves to run his offense through the running back. And to have an explosive guy like Dalvin Cook would absolutely fit, especially early in the season, the way he likes to be explosive uh, with these screen passes and, and the way he uses the running backs as wide receivers. ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney said on ESPN's Get Up that he believes that the Yankees are most likely to acquire Shea Otani in a trade this year. Otani mentioned that he believes that the Yankees are in an extreme win-now mode with their core players in Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Garrett Cole being the middle-aged players in their primes of their careers. Judge is 31. And is going. And Cole is going to be 32. Stanton is 33. And Cole will turn 33. And Stanton will turn 34 at the end of the season. The Yankees say it's more than likely Aaron Judge will return in the second half of the season. More likely in August. Ken Rosenthal believes that it is more likely that the Angels will not trade Otani at this year's trade deadline. Angels owner Art Moreno has been publicly reluctant to the possibility of Otani getting traded, saying, I don't know how you replace a guy like that. The Angels have a 45-46 record and are currently seven games back in the AL West and five games back in the wild card spot. Shea Otani is an interesting conversation. And if you're a Yankee fan, it rolls off your lips. And I'm going to tell you why it rolls off your lips. When Shea Otani wanted to come to America and play in the MLB, who was the first team to snap first at him? And that was the New York Yankees. Brian Cashman flew all the way to Japan, watched this kid play, pitch, throw, everything. And the Yankees wanted him. They absolutely wanted him. They made all the bids. And as a matter of fact, I heard that the Yankees gave him the biggest offer. And he still didn't want to be a Yankee. And the reason why he didn't want to be a Yankee, not because he didn't like the Yankees, not that he had no interest in playing in New York. The fact was, is he wanted to be closer to home in Japan, and it was easier to fly home from L.A. to Japan. Now, I do not believe, and I know that's Jeff, so you'll have to wait with him. Jeff, you're going to have to wait. (laughs) Shea Otani is a great player. And I know what Jeff's going to say, and I know how he's going to say it. He's the best player in the league. Right now, Shea Otani is the best baseball player in the MLB. That doesn't mean that because he's the best player in baseball that the Yankees would be interested in trading away all their prospects for a rental player in the second half of the baseball season. I can't see Brian Cashman doing that. I can't see the Yankees organization doing that. I can see the Mets doing it. I can't see the Yankees doing it. Shea Otani has been proven over the last couple of years to be one of the big faces of this game. And he's a dominant pitcher. He really is. He is not... He's not one of those guys. He's not Garrett Cole because, hey, look, Garrett Cole, all he has to worry about is pitching. He doesn't have to worry about hitting. Shea Otani does. But when you compare Shea Otani to an Aaron Judge, a guy that plays out in the field when he is healthy, 
more games in a season, and he goes up to bat more times than none in a season, I'm going to go with that everyday player, not the pitcher that's going to pitch every five days or six days. So when you try to compare Shea Otani to Aaron Judge, you can't. You can't. Right now, he is the best player in baseball. Was he the best pitcher in in the American League? If he was, he would have been starting for the AL. He didn't. Garrett Cole did. Now, what he's doing offensively, the guy's unbelievable. He's got tremendous power. He hits. Uh, he doesn't hit for average, but he he's hitting a lot of RBIs. Uh, his he doesn't strike out a lot. Great base runner too, stolen bases. Mm-hmm. He is a great all-around player and probably one of the greatest DHs we've ever seen, especially with the power that he brings to the plate. I do not believe he is going to be a Yankee. I don't care what Buster Olney is saying. I could believe that they're going to wait. The Angels are going to wait until the offseason. They'll trade him. They'll get a significant amount back for a guy like Shea Otani and wherever he wants to go. I Because to me... Why would the Yankees do this in the middle of the season if they don't know Shea Otani is going to re-sign with them? And I, I cannot see Shea Otani in the middle of the season saying, yeah, make the trade because I'm going to sign with you when you trade for me. That's not going to happen. This isn't Alex Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez always wanted to play for the Yankees. He did everything he can. To, I believe Aaron, to me, I believe Alex Rodriguez had something to do on why he didn't want to, he didn't play for Boston. And again, you look at a case of this is being such a tricky market to judge because we've never seen a player like this Shohei Otani, the two-way type player that he is. What is his market actually going to be like both financially and also what is his market going to be when it comes to trade value? Josh Towers, where we had him on side of last week, Shohei Otani being traded for as a rental is going to be a better trade value than a player getting traded. Like Juan Soto getting traded last year for the big amount of prospects he is. Shohei Otani getting traded as a rental might not be far behind in what the value did you get back. Did you hear what Derek Jeter said at the All-Star game? I did not. What did he say? Derek Jeter said that the Yankees should trade for Juan Soto. Oh, yeah. And and I think it's hilarious because, first of all, looking at what the Padres had to trade to get him, if the Padres do decide that they want to part ways with him, do you know what they can get back for Juan Soto and what they're going to be asking for? There's no way the Yankees and Brian Cashman is going to give away their farm for one player. Right. I cannot say the Padres did, but I can't see the Yankees doing it. They're not an organization that likes to do that. No, I, I can't see the Padres also backing down on that kind of trade and just saying, all right, we're going to just trade you a year after that, too. I think the Padres are in too deep where they're kind of like a lot like the Mets in reverse where they have a, good, a lot of good young hitters but they have the money already financially strapped in where you're going to have to just take the luxury tax penalties at that point and then just try to build the rest of your roster from there. But going back to Shohei Otani, like, there's a lot of teams that are going to be in that mold where you don't know if he's going to resign. I don't think Shohei Otani has necessarily one spot in mind he wants to go I to I don't either. even think Shohei Otani wants to sign right now. He has an opportunity in the offseason to go and sit down with all these other teams that will be interested in him, and then he could do a sign-and-trade because that's he he's not going to 
to walk away from the Angels with the Angels not getting anything because he's not that type of player. I could see Shea Otani signing the extension and then getting traded. That's what I think is going to happen. And I'm talking about $600 million, $550 million. He's going to be the highest paid player in Major League history because of his age and his ability to pitch and hit with power. So, all right, put him through, Speedy. Let's hear it. Let's right, hear the craziness. I, I pray to God that Shohei Otani joins the Yankees. Mm-hmm. I do. Here we go. I pray to God it happens. Why you is know, that? Because and, and you're saying that Otani isn't nearly the pitcher Garrett Cole is when they're pretty much the same pitcher. Mm-hmm. Like almost exactly, by the way. Otani has 132 strikeouts this year, which is more than Cole. He has 123. He's got six games already with 10 plus strikeouts, which is second in Major League Baseball. Their whip is identical. Uh, Otani's is 1.10 and Cole's is 1.12, mm-hmm. right? The ERA, Otani's got what? A half a run point, you know, worse a game, a half a run worse a game. And they essentially have the same ERA. And not for nothing, this is why I would love to see Otani. He's got just as good a numbers as Garrett Cole. Doesn't use spider tack. 3.32 ERA he has this year and a hundred and a third innings pitched. He's got a 1.096 win. And, and by the way, the ERA is so different. I mean, Garrett Cole is a two it's point. It's not really, it's yes, not it really is. all that different. It's yes, a it half is. a run. It's a half a run. That's a, game. a lot, a Jeff. 2.85 to a 3.32. Right. Well, then look at the strikeouts that have 10 more strikeouts. And by the way, he has, he has six games with 10 plus strikeouts. That's unbelievable. That's also really good. Like I'm really, not really good. I'm not saying Shea Otani isn't one of the best pitchers in baseball. I'm saying he's not having a season like Garrett Cole is having. He's not because if he they're was, he would have been starting. Identical. No, they're not. They're basically identical. No, they're their not. whip is the same, and their strikeouts are basically the same. Ten strikeouts over whatever ten starts. That's like one strikeout a game. Then the why kids. was Garrett right. Cole starting and Shea Otani wasn't? You got to pick somebody. Oh, oh! So they going to you're you're telling me because you you're saying that Che Otani is the face of baseball. You're going to tell you, me that you're going that to pick like Garrett Cole, your spider tap ass. You're going to pick him over the the face of baseball. Come on, Jeff. I I, I don't I don't think that you like like how similar their numbers are because your whole narrative oh, is God. Garrett Here Cole is so much better when their numbers are essentially. I didn't say he's like, so much better. I'm saying this year he's pitched better. I didn't say so much better. He's pitched better. Uh, bear, what uh, define better? Their whip is, is exactly the same. Their whip is exactly the same. And Otani's got more strikeouts and gives up a half a run a game. Whoop de doo. That's essentially the same. We'll see how they do in the second half. Maybe Garrett Cole pitches a much better second half, but they essentially had identical first halves. Speedy, would you agree now that you see the numbers? The, the Aren't one, they like the, identical? The one stat I think that's drastically different right now is the strikeouts per nine innings, where Shohei Otani is 11.8 to Garrett Cole's 9.5. I think that's the one main outlier when it's judging that because Shohei Otani, that's two more strikeouts a game. In, the different range of innings pitch, fine, but still, that's the one different. When the ERA, like you're saying, is is not a big difference right now. The whip whip is usually not a big difference with a lot of pitchers anyway. That's usually uh, tenths but those of decimals. Are, but those whips, like are, those, those whips are identical, though. They're yeah. literally identical. Whip is not something that you could easily nitpick on, too, because it's more judgment on how many home runs you allow versus how many walks you allow in today's game. If you were to ask me who's having a better pitching season, it's, it's easy, Garrett Cole. 
Okay, and I'm not going to it's sit here. It's not that easy. Yeah, it's that not is. that easy. Yeah, even Speedy's leaning towards Otani. No, he's not. No, he's per... not. No, he's not. He just said the big difference was strikeouts per nine innings, and Otani is 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 two the and big and a half difference. More. The big difference right now is a three point three two ERA to a two point eight five, and that's a big difference. It is yeah, a big a difference. It's a big difference. Let me ask you a question. Jeff, because we go back and we argue what is the most important statistics when it comes to pitching? ERA and whip, right? You're saying the whip is... Availability. Availability. And so, Garrett Cole has been available all season long, and so has Shea Otani. All right. This is a spider attack. Otani does it clean. No, first of all, uh, not this year. Uh, Garrett Cole has not done anything this year. He's not been caught. Oh, I know. He so does. stop. Yeah. Yes, he has not been caught this year. So stop saying he uses spider attack. Oh, he hasn't been caught this year. Uh, yeah, he, he hasn't been caught, so he hasn't done anything. He's, a, he's, right, he's learning from his past mistakes. <laughs> Whatever, Jeff. Uh, uh, also, he, also, he needs to teach Domingo Herman a little better. Mm, that's what it is, right? That's that's what it is. To me, when you look at both Garrett Cole, and by, by the way, right now Shea Otani has more strikeouts than Garrett Cole. Who's led the league the last two years in strikeouts? Okay, Garrett Cole. So, and Garrett Cole is a better strikeout pitcher in the so second half. Hold on. What does past years have to do with anything? This year, that's not the case, and you're brushing it off just to try to tilt the scales. No, I'm not. Garrett Who Garrett started ben, in the American ben, League? Ben, Who started ben, in the American League? Was it Shea Otani? It wasn't. past years. Then don't bring up past years. Yes, because it, 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 those are facts. This year's. Uh, who's, oh, yeah. right, oh, and, yeah. and who's got more strikeouts this year? Right now, Shea Otani. Right. But that doesn't mean and he's pitching better. That doesn't I mean, mean he's pitching yeah, but, better. But they're pitching essentially the same. No, they're not. No, they're not. Okay. No, okay. they're not. No, they're not. I mean, this is just blind Yankees. No, it's not. Order. It's not. Even, even Because Shea Otani would have started for the American League if everybody thought that he was a better pitcher. Think, he's better. He was pitching better. The difference is who starts a pretend baseball game? A pretend baseball game. They start the best pitcher in the American League, usually, and they start the best pitcher in the National League, usually. Oh, and the best pitcher in the American League got hurt before his All Star game. That right. was McClanahan. That's right. And who's the second? Garrett Cole. Right, Who's second right now in Cy Young? McClanahan's the best pitcher in the American League. No, but he, this year he is. He was this year, yeah. yeah right. I mean, then, then Garrett Cole shouldn't be starting the, the All-Star game then. Why? But McClanahan should. Who cares? McClanahan was hurt. hurt. <laughs> he was hurt. Who cares? Who cares? Garrett Cole's not the real starter then. He's, he's oh, like stop. a replacement, stop he's it, like a replacement stop uh, NFL player. Do we need to buy you a bottle so it shuts you up? Like a baby. Buy me a bottle. You're the one crying about Garrett Cole. I'm not crying. Out. I don't care. You're the one who called up. I taught. We were speaking right. about Otani, and you're trying to compare Otani to Garrett Cole right now. Speedy, when honestly, Speedy, who's having the better year? Splitting hairs on what stat you prioritize more. If you're going to judge that, I like the strikeout rate a lot more. But McClanahan is having the best year of any <laughs> All Star pitcher. Right, right. Hold on. So you're leaning towards Otani's having the better year. Pitching wise, I'm not. I'm not going to say either way who's having the better year. Well, obviously, we're not going batting wise because Garrett Cole doesn't bat, so okay. we're, I'm not even counting. All right. So yeah, we're talking pitching wise. 
Who's having the better year, Speedy? I don't care what you prioritize it on. If you want to prioritize more strikeouts, so hold on. Otani. So hold on. Let me let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Oh, there's two to one. Let me let me ask you a question. So, so let me ask you a question. But shut up. Speedy? Shut up. This is not your show. Shut up. Speedy, shut him down. Shut him down. Shut him down, Speedy. I don't want to hear him anymore. I'm done. Oh, I'm done. That's my, shut him down. More. Shut him down, Speedy. I, when I tell you to shut him down, shut him down. I don't want to hear it anymore. He is an idiot. Okay, I cannot listen to this garbage. And for him to go to you, the same person that when he makes picks, he's always wrong. You're going to go to a person. And yes, Speedy has statistics and he, he loves his statistics and all that other stuff. When you're trying to compare stats, if the stats were so close, why wasn't Shea Otani picked to start for the American League? He was healthy. He didn't pitch the game before. He was still on four games rest or five games rest. He could have pitched two innings. Why didn't he start? Answer that question. And you still can't answer it. And because, oh, he has 11 strikeouts to the innings that he pitched to Garrett Cole's 9.5, who, by the way, Garrett Cole has been the best strikeout pitcher in the major leagues for the last two and a half, three years. And you're going to say because he has more strikeouts now, that makes a huge difference to what the number in ERA is? The ERA, 2.85 in speed, you say there's no difference to it? To a 3.32, it's a huge difference. I also think it's just based on what your team prioritizes and what you need more that you would take that kind of raw pitcher if you were building the rest of your team. Because, again, if you have other strikeout pitchers on your team, you're going to end up taking the guy with the better ERA in that case. If you need guys that can strike out guys against a, in a postseason matchup against a team that strikes out a lot or doesn't strike out a lot, maybe you want the challenge of having the other pitcher on the mound, too. I also think the All-Star game is something that you look at. Shohei Otani is going to be showcased at his hitting anyway. You want to have a different pitcher on the mound in order to do that. Really? So, Oh, who started last year for the American League? I couldn't. Uh, Lance Lynn, I think it was. Mm. I, I don't even remember. <laughs> uh, uh, was Shea Otani the best pitcher in baseball last year? No, not pitcher Was he wise. the best pitcher in a baseball the year before? No. no. And so we're comparing Shea Otani, who is not the best pitcher in the American League. He's not even probably straight-up statistics in the top 10 in all the important statistics in the league right now. And we're trying to compare Garrett Cole, who is a top five right now. He's a top three voting in the American League and probably top six in both leagues. And and we're trying to compare Shea Otani to Garrett Cole. I, I think it's ridiculous. The only reason why Shea Otani is being compared to Garrett Cole right now is because he hits and Garrett Cole doesn't. That's the only reason why. That is why everybody wants to say that Shea Otani is the face of baseball. That's why he's the Babe Ruth of this time. But by the way, Shea Otani couldn't itch Babe Ruth's numbers as a pitcher when he pitched 107 complete games. Okay? How many complete games does Shea Otani pitch in the last three years? Honestly. All right? If he's so dominant and they're trying to compare him to Babe Ruth. Oh, wait. The answer to that is zero. (laughs) Zero. Zilch. So we're going to sit here and we're going to call him the Babe Ruth of today. Get the hell out of here. He is a gr- he's a good pitcher. He's not a great pitcher. He's a good pitcher. Has he won a Cy Young? No. Has he won an MVP? Once. Is he going to win another one this year? Probably. Why? Because everybody looks at his pitching and his hitting to be so important to a guy that plays every single day. If a guy plays in the outfield and he hits over 130 RBIs and he has close to the same home runs and power numbers is Shea Otani. Why would you pick Shea Otani over him? 
He's playing, and he plays more games in a regular season because he's an everyday player in the outfield, and he's a pretty good defensive-defensive player. How could Shea Otani beat him out? Because he's a pitcher, and he's a DH, and that, that's, that's Jeff's argument. He does play every day. He's a DH. So did David Ortiz. So did Edgar Martinez. And how long did it take those guys to get into the Hall of Fame? Edgar Martinez longer than it should have. Mm-hmm. David Ortiz shouldn't even be in the Hall of Fame because he did steroids, as we, and I think steroids should be allowed, but nevertheless, because he cheated, he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. But either way, when you look at Otani, in terms of the uniqueness of the type of player, that's why I think that you look at this market, it's going to be very difficult for any team to be able to judge. Not just the Yankees. I know these West Coast teams are going to be the favorites right now because that's where Shohei Otani, uh, obviously being from Japan, wants to stay. But even a team that's going to trade for him now, are you going to be able to gamble all those top prospects away? That's going to be a lot more than what Juan Soto got, who got like three top prospects on that Padres team and then three other players too. Like, is that any team's going to want to do to gamble? Are they actually going to sign him there? And if you do want to sign him there, you better sign him quickly. When you see a 2.85 ERA to a 3.32 and you and Jeff say that is not a lot and it's not a major difference, that is a huge difference when you look at an ERA. And ERA is the second most important statistic uh, you're looking for when it comes to winning a Cy Young. And you're going to tell me right now Speedy 3.32 is not very different to 2.85. That's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous statement. And for you to think that 11 strikeouts in nine innings is is better than nine and a half when his ERA is so much better is ridiculous. And their numbers are not the same. It's not. Seven and four to a – I don't think wins and losses mean anything. No, they don't. But – Again, when you look at everything and you're comparing Garrett Cole's whip, maybe are very, very close together, but the ERAs aren't, and he has a better win-loss record, and his strikeouts to the innings that he pitches is is right on target. He's averaging a strikeout an inning. I, I Honestly, I, I'm going with Garrett Cole, and that has nothing to do with the the Yankees and Otani. And and honestly, I don't want to see Otani go to the Yankees. You know why? Because I don't, I don't want to hear friggin' Jeff open his mouth and say that the Yankees are trying to buy their way to a championship, which we all know the Red Sox will not do anymore because they're running no. uh, an organization like the Oakland A's, like all the other low-tenant low teams like Tampa, because they think that they're going to transition into the Tampa Bay Rays, which they're not. There's only one Tampa Bay Rays team. Yeah, one that's a well-oiled machine that actually knows how to draw, develop homegrown pitching. Not like what the Red Sox know how to do, by any means. They definitely not know what the Angels know how to do, besides Otani. They've had issues developing pitching in his time there, and now he was going to get... You know, it's so funny. They they make fun of the Beef, and they, they want to... They, him and Snug like to attack the Beef, uh, saying Beef 2.0. The Beave, honestly, in, in a lot of ways, there are some silly things that come out of the Beave's mouth, but not even the Beave would be stupid enough to think that Shea Otani's having a better season than Garrett Cole is. It's, it's, as a pitcher, it's ridiculous. And I don't, and honestly, he can go, you can, Jeff, you can go to the, you can go to Josh, you can go to Speedy. That's not going to change my mind when I look at the numbers and I compare the numbers. Because what I see in the most important numbers, I'm going with Garrett Cole over Shea Otani. And that's it. There's, there's no argument on that. And, and I, I just under, I don't understand why we are continuing to argue, argue about this. Because it really has no meaning towards it. Let's move on. Anyways.
Oh, man. James Harden. Oh. Sam Amick of The Athletic reports that James Harden wants the 76ers to trade him to the Clippers. NBA executives say that the Sixers president, Daryl Morey, has requested a sizable return back for Harden and don't expect Harden to be traded anytime soon. Reports also believe that the market is smaller than expected for Harden and the Clippers and Miami are the only real contenders to trade for him. The Heat are also in talks of trading for Damian Lillard. As Dame uh, agent has mentioned, he could be unhappy playing for anybody else. The Clippers are already above the salary cap, luxury tax, and threshold, and NBA super tax totals. Steve Ballmer, the richest owner in the NBA, and also the richest owner in four major sports leagues. Harden is 33 years old and will be playing on a $35.6 million player option next season. It's really simple with James Harden. James Harden has demanded his way out to numerous teams. He didn't want to play for OKC. He didn't want to be a six-man. He goes to Houston. He becomes a superstar. He becomes Mr. Party Animal. He becomes Mr. Kardashian. As soon as they bring in Chris Paul, and Chris Paul gets hurt in the, the Western Conference Finals and everything fell apart, and they decided to part ways with Chris Paul. Everything started to fall apart. They bring Russell Westbrook there, thinking that he had to bring in one of his buddies there. It absolutely was a catastrophe, and then he wanted out. So what did he do? He forced his way out to the Brooklyn Nets. He goes to that clown show of an organization with his two buddies over there, Kyrie, a.k.a. Idiot, uh, Irving, and then Kevin, a.k.a. Seven Twitter Feeds, Durant, who calls himself the social media king. All of those guys were clowns over there. How long did it take James Harding to want out over there? What was it, two years? Then he forces his way to the 76ers. He goes over there. He ruins Doc Rivers, even though Doc Rivers was already ruined. Okay? He ruins that team and the fortitude of that team. Joel Embiid really, even though he wins an MVP... I was really behind the eight ball bringing in a guy like James Harden, who's a bull hog, has ruined that team and ruined that organization. And now, ladies and gentlemen, he doesn't want to be there anymore. So where does he want to go? He either wants to go to the Rockets or he wants to go to the Clippers. Now, there are stories coming out that the Rockets would be his first pick, but the Rockets have said they're more than likely not interested in James Harden because they're a young roster and they bring in a coach that probably doesn't want to deal with his antics. So it's only the Clippers. That's who it is. And I don't want to hear the Heat because he's not going to the Heat if they're going after Dame. They don't have anything to trade. They're already going to probably trade away their future for Dame Lillard. And if they fail to win with Dame Lillard for, for the next year, two years, they're, it's going to set their team back for the next 10. Pat Riley is going to be retired. They're going to bring in a new GM. Maybe it's Spolstra, and he becomes the GM, and they bring in a coach of his choosing. I don't know. But it's going to set Spolstra back if he becomes a GM. It doesn't make sense. And now the Clippers, the Clippers have always brought these second-tier superstars in to their organization for years. And what happens to those second-tier 
All-Stars, they become third-tier idiots that never get a chance to play, they're hurt, or they're just completely washed up and they don't ever go anywhere. And also, we've seen the Clippers be behind the times when it comes to different trends we've seen across the NBA, too. The Clippers obviously succeeded with their quote-unquote lob city identity in the regular season, but it didn't work in the playoffs when they didn't have enough three-point shooting besides J.J. Redick and Jamal Crawford if he was healthy, but a lot of the times that was towards the end of his career, too. And now you're seeing a trend where the Clippers have done it past this big three identity, too, where they have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. They tried to get it because they finally got it after they, they won the battles from the Lakers when everyone thought Kawhi. Leonard was going to the Lakers, Paul George was going to the Lakers, they won the battle to get both of those guys, and now they feel like they have to win in that type of identity again, which we've seen fail with the Brooklyn Nets already, and we've seen fail in other non-LeBron James-led locations. And now they're kind of stuck trying to have to do this as a saving grace for both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who are both on these massive contracts on the last year of them. And Ty Lue, who's not a great coach as it is in the NBA as it is, also on the last year of his contract, but that's who everyone wants to play for. Also, what did we just discuss yesterday? The flopping rule in the NBA, which James Harden, we know, loves to do. So that's going to diminish his value so much, even at $35.6 million a year. And that's why I think a team like the Rockets, who he does want to go to, sees the future and say, maybe this player isn't going to succeed in new rule NBA. Why would the Rockets want an old player, 33 years old, who, yes, he helped the Rockets grow in the mid-2000s, and he was the face of the organization. He really self-destructed that organization. When he wanted Russell Westbrook there, he pleaded with the organization to bring him in. He was a bust. The team was a complete bust. As a matter of fact, he never won there with the Rockets. They were a complete failure. What, one year with Chris Paul? And they could have knocked off Golden State. They could have, but then Chris Paul got hurt, as always. And uh, now he's playing for Golden State. So figure that one out. How long is it going to take for Chris Paul to get hurt that year, uh, next year, where uh, it's a complete turmoil over there in Golden State? So there's, there's nothing that sells me right now that James Harden going to the Clippers is going to benefit the Clippers. As a matter of fact, they're trying to move Paul George. Uh, There were stories coming out that that the Knicks are interested in him. Detroit has been interested in him. Uh, There are other teams that have reached out to the Clippers about Paul George. Why would any team want Paul George? He's 33, 34 years old. Uh, the guy can't stay healthy. Last year, what, did he play 58 games? He he didn't even – I don't even think he played in the playoffs – I mean, it's to me, Paul, jo- Paul George has done absolutely nothing for what he's getting paid over there that the Clippers are giving him. And, and, and by the way, Kawhi Leonard, who did finally figure things out in the second half of the season, he couldn't stay healthy all season long, and including the end of the season when he got hurt. So it, it, they're, they're imploding right now. You bring in a coach that... I don't even... LeBron Puppet. <laughs> uh, Tyrone Liu, and I... I I like the guy. He, he seems like a really, really nice guy. The guy was not a good NBA player, okay? Tyrone Liu was a, he was a bench player who barely got a chance to step on a court. He might be a good basketball mind, but not as a head coach in the NBA. The Clippers organization, after taking a chance with Tyrone Liu, he, he was a LeBron puppet. He did win a championship with the Cleveland Cavaliers, but it wasn't because of him. It was because of LeBron. So I... I I sit here today and I try to try to figure out what the Clippers are trying to do. They have a very good owner. They have a very rich owner. Um, but having all the money in the world and spending all the money in the world doesn't mean that you're going to build a success story 
uh, in L.A. asked the New York Knicks, how much money has James Dolan spent on GMs and coaches and executives? And he's still paying them, and it hasn't worked. So what makes the Clippers think that it's going to help bringing in a James Harden to play with Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. Oh, it's not going to work because, first of all, James Harden is probably the only one of those three that actually does not have any issues with his health. But the one thing he does have his issues with over the years has been usage rates. And James Harden, as a result, he wears out, gets t- more tired, and, and as a result, plays horribly in the playoffs. Probably among any like any athlete, superstar athlete that we've seen in the past, if any major sport, he dies out in the playoffs more than anybody. In addition to Paul George, who's very streaky in the playoffs, as it is. Like, yeah, he's had his years, oh, playoff P with the pace is fine. His first couple of years with the Clippers, or his uh, I should say his last couple of years with the Clippers, when Kawhi Leonard was hurt, he actually played I well. Love, I love Paul George. I love his game. He's one of the best wing defenders in the league. When you when you try to compare and contrast some of the best wing fe- defenders in the league, you have two of them on the same team, and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And you would think that that would have worked over there with the Clippers, but these guys can't stay healthy. Kawhi Leonard comes from Toronto after winning a championship and doesn't play a Clippers game until this year. Right. And that's two years. You had to wait two years and pay this guy the amount of money that he got to come over here to your organization after he won in Toronto and then wait as long as they have and really didn't see enough of Kawhi Leonard to think that he is healthy enough to take this team to that next level, something that he did in Toronto and he helped do in in San Antonio. And again, you also look at Kawhi Leonard because of his other injury history at the end of his Spurs career, though, too. And you're now forcing him to try to be a what he was in San Antonio, what he was in Toronto, in a much higher volume, too, because of that. Because the Clippers don't have these draft picks. Yeah, they've hit on some good second-round picks that have helped them have good depth. Their, their depth is not as bad as teams like the Nets, teams like the Suns, that were this year, fine. But these guys are not able to develop the same way as they would be on a different team. And also, a lot of those guys have been traded to get guys that are catering to what Kawhi Leonard Paul George wanted Robert Covington. They got from the Blazers. They got Reg- they've had Reggie Jackson at certain points. They've had all these different big men that have now since been traded to teams like the Lakers in Avika Zubac. So they have these pieces, but they never work for a good team identity because of that too. And they're just kind of stuck in the middle of trying to do everything well, but nothing else extremely well too. And like you were saying, second and third tier type superstars that are either past their time or past what are the, the trend of the identity in the NBA. And here's another another name that I am wondering what they're going to do with him is Carl Anthony Towns Mm -hmm. because we spoke to the play-by-play or ex-play-by-play guy for the Timberwolves and in in Benz and then we we spoke to so many people about Carl Anthony Towns and a lot of people have said that Carl Anthony Towns has weighed out his uh you know his options over there in Minnesota here's the problem and, and and I understand there are fans out there that just realize that this guy is taking him as far as he could. And we know Anthony Edwards is the future of the Minnesota Timberwolves. And he just got a lot of money. But Carl Anthony Towns, he's been there for, what, six years now, seven years, got an extension. He's making over $200 million with all incentives. He has not produced. He hasn't produced in the playoffs. And I don't even think he's won a round. No, he hasn't. Dave, Dave said it on the show when we had him two weeks ago. They, they've won, I think, two playoff games and haven't even won a series. I think that you look at Carl Anthony Towns, he's a big name. He's still a quality name. He's getting up there in age now. He's 27, 28. 
Uh, he's still in the prime of his career. You st- I still believe you can get four or five good years from a big man of that talent who can go up and down the court and shoot the three. Uh, I think he's a little bit afraid of getting into the paint as a big man, and, and he's been horrible in, in playoff games rebounding the ball. This is a guy that's a big man, athletically gifted, and he's getting out-rebounded by guys that are a little bit smaller than him, a little bit slower than him. So that's a huge problem, and it shows his strength and his dimension of his game, how it's, it hasn't really developed the way everybody thought it was going to develop. Now, maybe a change of scenery, maybe it goes somewhere out you know, in the east side or maybe even the west side where it makes sense, where maybe it could give him a little bit more understanding of who he is as a player and what he should be as a player in his seventh or eighth year as an NBA superstar. And again, we also look at the, what he was as a prospect too, defensively, that has never amounted anywhere that at, anywhere with Minnesota at all. And that's why they've had to bring in these other big men like Rudy Gobert. And even in the first round picks that they've spent after Towns because they've had to to mount his defense to get his offensive value up higher too. And it's been harder for them to be able to do that the same way. One with just being kind of an average team since he's been there too, kind of in the middle, they made the playoffs. That's for that first year there with Jimmy Butler. And then they've been kind of a play in team since then. So they haven't had these great lottery picks besides Edwards, but even so like they haven't been able to develop anything else. We've talked about teams like the Pelicans and teams like the Grizzlies teams like the Kings that have drafted well to amount that. And they've allowed their other players to do well offensively because of that. And the other thing that Carl Anthony Towns has been hurt by too is just his work ethic too like he's been called uncoachable obviously with him and Tom Thibodeau having the beef in the past but also even with other coaches too he really hasn't grown his game the way he could at the high upside prospect that we've seen we talk about NBA draft prospects that have all this ceiling like he's probably one of the top five of this decade in terms of what he was supposed to be thought of as a prospect and he has an amount of that to that he's a great player but he's probably still in that second tier of star players because of that I think that when you look at where the NBA is going with the, the talent that they have and the future talent over the last couple of years of the draft, I think that you have these old players, these veteran players, and shout out to Carmelo Anthony uh, with the ESPY Awards, what LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris uh, Chris Paul did last night, uh, you know, representing uh, you know the NBA and and really saluting Carmelo Anthony and all all of what he done he's done for the NBA on and off the court. I, I think when you look at these NBA players, they're, they're internationally, uh, you know, superstars. And, and now they're just so big around the world, not just this country. And no matter where they go, like James Harden, like even Russell Westbrook, everybody still thinks that they're the same player that, players they were five, six, seven, eight years ago when they played for their respectable teams like OKC or the Rockets when he was traded from OKC to the Rockets. They're not the same players. They're not the same MVPs that they were. They're now, even though you you look at them and you look at Russell Westbrook, he's 34, 33, he's still a young man, but in basketball years, he's an old man. And you look at James Harden, he's 33. In basketball years, playing 10, 11, 12 years that he's played, he's an old man. All those beatings on his legs and his knees and playing for Team USA and playing internationally and then playing in the NBA for you know over a thousand games or close to a thousand games. It it wears and tears you out. So I, I understand that when you hear the name James Harden, you still think, hey, he's still one of the best players in the league. He's still a triple-double guy. He's still a superstar. He's still a guy that's going to give you quality time in the court. Yeah, he's going to give you points. He's going to give you assists. He's going to give you all the things that you think that you're getting that's quality. But 
How many, how many minutes does he play on the court? How many times does he demand the ball? How many times does he shoot the ball? How many times does he get fouled and goes to the free throw line uh, you know, strategically every single game because he's flopping? I, that, those are things that, you know, as an NBA executive or a GM, you have to take a look at and say, do we want a 33-year-old big mouth who is not the same player he was six, seven years ago? And also, remember, James Harden, too, is – there's a lot of games where he gets a good percentage of his points from those free throws too. If you're having this flopping rule go into place where his average free throws per game are 22 or 24, something like that, and that rule is in place, that's probably cut down to in the 14, 15 range. So how much does that affect his overall scoring per game, which is already his biggest strength? Yes, he led the league in assists per game last year. That's fine. But I mean, if he's going to somewhere where he's not playing with Joel Embiid, is he going to get those kinds of numbers too? Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, if they're on the court, are great scorers, fine, but they're not Joel Embiid in the current state of today's NBA where you have these big men that can do so much. That's the wave of the league now. Bigger stretch guys and bigger wing guys that could do so much. And Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, just because of these injury issues that they've had, do not have that same level of athleticism. And that's going to hurt James Harden down the road. And you're right. You look at these veteran scorers as a whole across the league. So a lot of them are diminishing all at the same time because of this level of usage rate and the way the league is evolving now to the younger, quicker wing players. Before we go to Bracket Wars, there's a story uh, going around in the NFL about Kyler Murray, that he's not coachable, that he needed to look into the mirror after the season that he had, and that uh, he might not be the player that they should have paid in the offseason last year, as well as they paid their coach Kingsbury, and they absolutely flopped, maybe because they were on hard knocks. I don't believe so. I think it has a lot to do with the organization firing a coach during hard knocks during the season and not telling anybody what happened in New Mexico and not letting hard knocks air it out on what was going on, which would have been must-see TV. Uh, it, it makes no sense how you fire a coach, a very important coach to the organization, during in, in the middle of the season. But we all know Kyler Murray was talking all season long in a third person. And I love Kyler Murray. You do too, Speedy. And we, we both thought Kyler Murray was going to take two steps forward after his rookie season and his second year. This guy, absolutely, I believe, yes, he choked in the playoffs against the Rams. So did everyone Super Bowl. <laughs> but he won, they won the Super Bowl. But this past year, Kyler Murray did not produce he did not show up to games, and that's why Cliff Kingsbury has no job. This team did not play as one, and as everything that I've heard from the organization and somebody and an inside source and a writer that writes for Arizona says that nobody in the locker room really likes him. You bring in a guy like Hollywood Brown, who is one of your good friends, a guy that you very much respect. Uh, that you know just as well as anybody, including probably your brother, your sister, or your, your uncle, your aunt. You bring him in, you make the trade in the offseason, you think it was going to help him, it made it worse. You thought that a guy like Hollywood Brown would have that season that's going to help Kyler Murray really develop into a star quarterback in this league. But he was talking too much about himself, not the team, not taking responsibility of the way the team was playing offensively. And then when it came to the end of the game, when they were asking him questions about uh, team football and, and questioning some of the things that he did on the field, he, he kept talking in a third person like he was better than himself, like he was better than everybody around him. And that has a lot to do with coaching. That has a lot to do, and I think this new coaching staff is not going to take any crap from Kyler Murray. They don't care how much money they paid him. They, they did not draft him. Cliff Kingsbury's staff did. 
Okay, and we've seen what they did with Josh Rosen after one year. They tossed him to the side. Kyler Murray, obviously, Josh Rosen, Josh Rosen didn't get a second extension like Kyler Murray did, and that's why they have to decide uh, or even give Kyler Murray a chance to run this offense. And if it doesn't work, oh, no harm, no foul. You trade him or you get rid of him, and then you go back into the draft again and draft a top ten quarterback in the draft. It's so crazy what has happened to Arizona. I remember when they were elite when they had. Kurt Warner, and they had Larry Fitzgerald, and they had all these guys, and they, they did it right. Now, all of a sudden, they've had, and I'll, I'll say this again about the Jets. The Jets did the same thing. You drafted Sam Donald. You drafted Zach Wilson. Practically every other year, they drafted a quarterback, the Jets, and it just hasn't worked. And now you look at somebody like, a team like this, when you, these guys, Rosen, was arguably at one point the best quarterback coming out of that class. He wasn't. He drafted nine. He swore to he swore to every single team that passed up on him that they're going to regret it. The guy hasn't played one NFL starting game since he said that. And then you go to Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray was opening his mouth, wrapping his mouth all season long, didn't produce, and then tears his ACL before the season ends. And that backup quarterback played better than he did. And also, you, this might be a, a merit of why, if Cliff Kingsbury wasn't the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, a lot of people at the time never thought Kyler Murray would have been a number one overall pick, too. I, obviously, he was a first-round pick. He was thought of as the best quarterback in the, in the class. But even so, like he wasn't going to go that early in comparison to all these other defensive prospects, all these other players, offensive linemen that were a lot better as prospects in that class, too. And that was something that Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray were going to get catered to each other. But if he was with another coach, yeah, maybe those issues would have come out. And because Cliff Kingsbury was there, it was hidden more because of that kind of thing too. Now, my issues with the time with Kyler Murray, when they got the contract, were more worried about his injuries because he was a smaller guy, because he was a guy that held the ball very long and he tried to extend plays and took too many bad sacks. That was more of the issue than even some of this ego stuff that you're saying now was brought out talking to the third person and stuff like that. that you was, didn't see that all season long? Not, it took me a while until like later in the season to see that kind of thing. I never would have thought it would have gotten to this extreme. Oh my God, how many times did I see him on the field and and I have this stick, so I, I watched a lot of the Arizona Cardinal games because I watch a lot of football during the football season. I'll snip right into one game and snip right into the next game. And at the end of the games, so I want to hear what Kyler Murray has to say. And he kept saying, you know, Kyler, you know, he's he's that type of player. And I'm like, wait a second, you talking you you're talking about yourself? I mean, seriously, he kept talking about himself in a third person. And that's not something a football player wants to do in front of his teammates, not in front of the camera, because what are the what are the other players going to think of him when he steps in the locker room and they're, you know, he's not taking responsibility as a leader of the team and he's not taking responsibility for what he has done on the field because he keeps talking himself as a third person. So I don't understand Kyler Murray. Hopefully this coaching staff will figure him out and maybe move him in the right direction because I still think he's a quality quarterback. He's an accurate quarterback. We're not going to see him until the second half of the season. And and if I were Arizona, if, if they're a smart organization, if you think that the season is over by the second half of the season, I wouldn't even start him. No. I would just sit him out for the season. And then you decide after that, is he the quarterback of the future or do you move on from him, trade him in the offseason, try to get a first-round draft pick for him. You're not going to get two, but maybe you get a first for him and trade him to a team that needs him. Maybe Minnesota, if they decide to go away from Kirk Cousins or the Rams, somebody, somebody will make a move for him and give, well, the Rams don't have a first round draft pick for the next five years because they're a stupid organization, but that's because of (laughs) Sean McVay. But uh, honestly, 
when you look at the big picture here, I, I would think that I would just just not play him next year if this team isn't a playoff contending team. But you are in the NFC, and the NFC stinks, so anything's possible. But we also saw it too. Remember early in this offseason that we had, he has already had issues with the new coaching staff that was already brought in. Yeah, and John was another thing. We're not getting along either. So this exemplifies it even more. Now, granted, I have my resignations already with Jonathan Gannon, who a lot of Eagles players have said that they didn't really like him a lot either. Too, it was a big reason they left the Eagles before even Gannon took the coaching job with Arizona. That they already had their resignations; they were going to leave. Chauncey Gardner Johnson went to the Lions. We've seen some a couple of their defensive tackles go out other places too, and that could even be a problem in itself because we've seen them go from Cliff Kingsbury, who wasn't very stubborn; he was very more of a lackadaisical coach. He was stubborn in his play calling to Jonathan Gannon, who seems like a stickler. We've seen teams do that where they go from one extreme to the other, and players don't like it. So that could be another issue that the Cardinals are dealing with, in addition to the fact that he's already getting paid a lot of money. All right, Speedy, the final bracket wars of the greatest athletes of all time. Are you ready? Yes. Bracket wars, finals. It's time for bracket. 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 It's time for bracket wars. So we both picked Michael Jordan yesterday against Mike Tyson, but the Twitter polls decided it was Wayne Gretzky over Babe Ruth. So it will be those two, the greatest basketball player in the majority of people's eyes and the greatest hockey player in the majority of people's eyes going at it in the final round of this edition of Bracket Wars. Number two seed, Wayne Great One Gretzky. Gretzky had 894 goals, 1,963 assists in his career, 2,857 points in his career. Gretzky had four seasons with over 70 goals, 11 seasons over 100 assists, and nine seasons over 150 points. Gretzky was a 15-time All-Star, won an Art Ross Trophy 10 times, and won a Hart Trophy 9 times. Gretzky had 81 goals and 171 assists and 252 point total points in the playoffs and won four Stanley Cups with the Oilers. Gretzky ended his career at 2,857 points, 920 one above the next highest player in Yarmir Yager. He also had 714 assists ahead of Ron Francis for the most NHL in history and is 72 goals ahead of Alexander Ovechkin for most goals in NHL history. There, you can argue that he's the greatest hockey player of all time, but numbers would tell you that he is. You could compare him to guys like Mario Lemieux and Gordie Howe and Rocket Richard and all that other stuff, but a lot of people would say the great one was the greatest hockey player ever, ever stepped on the ice in history. And again, you look at the statistical gap that probably besides what we were talking about in previous rounds with Jerry Rice, too, with wide receivers, you're not going to see in any other sport in any other just statistical gap with these things. And Wayne Gretzky did it for a very long period of time, too. So many different teams. We were talking about it yesterday, like the expansion team, Edmonton Oilers, two teams in the Kings and the Blues that didn't find previous success until he got there, too, and did it with such a high level for a long time. Michael Jordan, the number one seed. Michael Jordan was a 14-time All-Star, 10-time NBA First Team, 9-time Defensive Player of the Year, 10-time Scoring Champion, 5-time MVP. Jordan won six championships in the NBA Finals, MVP, and MVP six of them, and never needed a Game 7 to win any of those titles. Jordan also won a national championship in North Carolina in 1982 and two Olympic gold medals in 1984 and the 1992 Dream Team. Jordan averaged 30.1 points per game, 6.2 rebounds per game, 5.3 assists per game in his career in the regular season. Jordan averaged 33.4 points per game, 6.4 rebounds per game, and 5.7 assists per game in the playoffs. 
Michael Jordan's the greatest athlete ever. I don't care what anybody says. I will argue this till the day I die. I, I've never seen a player that was so dominant, just an absolute bull when he stepped in New York, where he went into L.A. He made sure that you heard him, you saw him, and he didn't quit. He didn't sit out. He played every game because he knew the fans were coming to see him. Michael Jordan is one of those guys that revolutionized the game of basketball, was the guy that really changed the game internationally. He was everything to what basketball is today. His shoe deal was the greatest deal in NBA history. He's the first player in professional sports that ever made a deal with an organization, a sneaker organization, where he made money off of every single piece of apparel with his name on it. Michael Jordan, smartest and one of the smartest businessmen in NBA and sports history. And for all you basketball fans that want to argue anyone else is the GOAT besides Michael Jordan, now He's is an idiot. Yeah, we've heard these Kobe arguments, these LeBron arguments. I mean, Michael Jordan is the most... Did you did you hear what LeBron James' wife said yesterday before she introduced uh, him? Do I want to know what LeBron James' wife said yesterday? She said when she introduced LeBron James as he, he broke uh, the scoring numbers, points total in NBA history, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he, she said the, the GOAT... Respectfully. Oh, really? Introducing the GOAT <laughs> oh. respectfully. Oh, yeah. All right, LeBron's wife. You want to know how uh, well-rounded of a player Michael Jordan was, too? Yeah, she just... wasn't alive to see him play, yeah, honestly. Well, I mean, I, again, I wasn't either in his Bulls days. I was alive for his Wizards days. They, 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 LeBron James barely saw Michael Jordan play. What what year did LeBron James... What, what 2003 year? was his first 2003, year. no, but when was he born? Oh, when was he born? I, I, so he's 36 now, so 83, I believe. Or no, 93. No. You're, you're 84, so it would be. It wouldn't be 84. He's 36, right? I'm the, 41. Oh, okay. So he was born, he's 36. So he was born in, I, I would think, he's older than, I think he was born in 86, 87. Right? No, I was right. It was 84, but I had the wrong year. So he's, so, he's, so he's older than that. So he's 38 right now. Oh, he's 38? So he's born in 84. So he saw he saw Michael Jordan play, but not very much. Yeah. Not at the high point. And, and his wife, I don't know how old his wife is, but she probably didn't see Michael Jordan play much either. She probably wasn't, wasn't even a basketball fan. Probably. I don't know. But to, to try to compare her, you know, her husband in LeBron James to Michael Jordan is ridiculous. They came from two different times, defensively, offensively. I, I do believe LeBron James is the second greatest player to ever play the game, but to compare him to Michael Jordan is ridiculous. And I would hope everyone that's my age group that hasn't seen him play recognize the difference, too. And Le LeBron James, we talk about all the negative influence he's had on the game with the flapping and all, all him speaking out and all building all these super teams. So Michael Jordan didn't do any of that. No, Michael Jordan did not. And the game was completely different. Michael Jordan hated everybody. He didn't want to play with anybody. His own teammates hated Michael Jordan because he wanted to win. He wanted to win that bad that he wanted everybody to hate him on his team or not even the players playing against him. The referees kind of hated him. The coaches hated him because he was such you know, he, he he was such a dominant force on a basketball court. I'm going with Michael Jordan. I'm going to let the Twitter polls decide this one. I'm going to go with Gretzky on this one. Because I, I think his statistical gap, even though Michael Jordan, I think, well-rounded-wise, obviously did it more. Wayne Gretzky, I think the statistical gap makes a difference. So we're going to let the Twitter polls decide this one. Who will win this edition? They're of not going Morris. to pick Michael Jordan. I'm going to say this. Because everybody and their mother hates Michael Jordan. <laughs> the Deion Sanders lovers you're talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. They hate Michael Jordan. So I, I would probably 
guarantee they're going to pick Wayne Gretzky. All right, we'll see. So. This is very interesting. Yeah. But these are my top two, so I, 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 I knew you were going to pick MJ, so I'll differ it up. Why not? All right. I, I think it's Michael Jordan. All so. righty. And that is our show. Thank you to all the different guests that we've had on the show tonight. Drew Chrisman, uh, the punter for the Cincinnati Bengals. He was fantastic. He really was a great interview and gave us so much good information about Joe Burrow and the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, the Bengals. <laughs> Everybody. He gave us such good information. So thank you. And uh, keep up with your Pilates and uh, washing your dishes, my friend. Uh, and thank you to Emmy Award winning uh, you know, ex-NFL player, NFL wide receiver, and Mark Patterson. He was fantastic. Uh, he obviously won an Emmy for searching for the summit. It was a great, uh, you know, E60 story for ESPN, and he actually won an Emmy because of it. So he was fantastic. Gave a, he's always great. Oh, and, yeah. And he, he, he's an executive for Sports Illustrated and uh, doing such a great job. So thank you to Mark. He, he really is fantastic as well. Uh, we have uh, shows lined up for you next week and guests lined up for you. Speedy, who do we have? All right. Joining us at 930. He was on our show last Wednesday, year. Wednesday, right? Wednesday, yep. 930, former uh, – Dolphins and Giants corner Tony Lippett. He was on it last year. He was uh, he was uh, one of the Lakers fans as well, discussing with you, uh, Kobe as well. You mm-hmm. and him were going back and forth. I remember him. So he'll be on at nine thirty, and then at ten o'clock, Nelson Figueroa, former MLB pitcher, played with six different teams, and now does uh, some. Uh, he does a sports show, I believe, for Picks Eleven now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nelson Figueroa, he'll be joining us. He does uh, Mets and Yankees coverage on that show as well. Former Mets pitcher, obviously, mm-hmm. and he'll be joining us at ten. And Thursday. Uh, Thursday, X at 9.30, ex-goaltender. He played for the Calgary Flames, Vancouver Canucks, New Jersey Devils, and Carolina Hurricanes. Eddie Lack will be joining us. That is the only one we know of as of right now for Thursday, but he, Eddie is great. He'll be joining us at 9.30. We're very excited for all the great guests that we're going to have next week. Thank you to the great guests this week. Thank you to all the fans around the country listening to us throughout the country, really uh, you know, tuning in to our network and, and the sports lab mounting, giving us so much high reg- or highly regarded information throughout the emails throughout social media on our talent and our our great shows so thank you to the fans out there we really appreciate all of you guys continue listening to us we'll continue entertaining you guys as we always do and we'll be back next week listen to uh, the weekend crunch on Saturdays at 7pm on 103.9 FM here in Long Island if you don't live on Long Island you can find us by going to iHeartRadio LI News Radio Saturday night at 7 p.m., me and Speedy, great guests. We do it every single week. Great, uh, you know, handicap, betting line, everything. Everything that we do on that show is so entertaining. We crunch everything that we talked about during the week in all of sports into one two-hour show. It is fantastic. I'm telling you guys, I'm not just selling that to you. If you're a Long Island sports or you're a New York or you're a fan around the country, you should be listening to our show throughout the week. That's it for our show. We'll be back next week. Good night! It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.